I have? Yeah. Why is that? Well, <clears throat> in a good way or a bad way? First, okay, for some reason, I'm not super hip, you know, on the yeah. the memes and, and, you know, things like that. Things about nature. And apparently, I for some reason, I thought that you had come up with <laughs> Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. Oh, I'm, no, that was not me. Yeah, no. but I thought, well, I thought, that's pretty clever, Ian. That's a good one. And I, and I told my, my girlfriend, I told her that you did it, and she was like, no. Well, she told everybody at work. And then they told her that's a popular meme, and I said, yeah. so I said, wow, the internet must have stolen Ian's <laughs> joke, Yeah, right? He's, he's the one who invented... Yeah. yeah, actually I did. He came first. up with it. The, right, the joke. and I was going to say, I know the feeling really well, like I'm not a stranger to having my ideas taken and like popularized by someone else. Yeah. I think I was telling Steven this earlier, I, the funny movie Elf, you guys have heard of that? Yeah. My idea. I came up with it, yeah, I was like... I was there when he wrote it. Yeah, I was like, I was like... What if Will Ferrell was an elf? No, I was like, what if a regular sized guy, maybe even a big guy, yeah. grew up in Santa's workshop and then he had to go to New York to yeah, find his real and family? He just went around and he screamed all the yeah. time. I was like, those were the jokes. I was like, what if he's not smart? That would be funny, right? Like, he's not a smart guy. But then my idea was stolen by that guy from the Spider Man movies Dr. Octopus. Uh, maybe. The, Is that. <laughs> the one with the wrinkles? The John, Alfred Molina. John Favreau. He's not in Spider-Man. John Favreau? Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he's Peter. He dates Peter Parker. Oh, you're yeah. talking about the new Spider-Mans. Yeah. 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 Oh, I haven't seen that. He's in the Iron Man's as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, okay, but it's happened to me multiple times. Like, So I get how you feel about your joke being You stolen. know, John Favreau didn't even write that movie. Elf? Yeah. He directed it. So? Yeah. Just because he directed something doesn't mean he wrote it. No, but he took my idea. I don't care who. No, he didn't. Ta- John Favreau didn't take your idea. The writer, the writer of that movie did. did. Yeah. Well... I mean, I'm sorry to take he, all the wind he, out of your He was sales, in the but. IHOP at four in the morning when you first said that joke. <laughs> when I was like, when I was in the IHOP and I said, what if big guy Santa workshop? Not smart. <laughs> Give me a Santa snack. <laughs> so when you were 10 years old. Yes, I came up with Elf. <laughs> Uh, David, David Berenbaum, Berenbaum stole your idea for a movie yeah. that he based on. I, we both went to the Tisk School of the Arts in, in Philly, and yeah. he he actually, he did write The Haunted Mansion. I'll give him that. Oh, very? Well, to be fair, though, you came up with the idea for the ride. I did. And so I, he yeah. kind of stole your idea again. Yeah, and the, and the movie's well, based well, on the ride. He came up with the idea of yeah. putting putting Eddie Murphy in a really mm-hmm. spooky house. Yeah, I was like, what if Eddie Murphy, what if Beverly Hills Cop was Beverly Hills caught in a nice house full of spooky ghosts? Bless you. I'm allergic to that. Yeah. Very I also, uh, what is that? We got Coral Club. Oh, Oral Club. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> That's an Oprah Club. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I came up with Crazy Frog too, but. Did you? Yeah. yeah it was, it, well, it was my idea to have mm-hmm. his little dick out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would just, I would sing, I would practice singing my Crazy Frog songs in the mirror and someone at the, at the Denny's that, where were we? Were we at IHOP? I thought it was IHOP. Well, well no, no. At like, one of the diners. You you were listening to pro, pop, uh, popular like yeah. e- e- the, the EDM hits, EDM yeah. hits and, and you, yeah. you kept saying bing bing ba ba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while listening yeah. to it. Um, before I before I got politically correct, I would I would listen to you know Cascada or, or like you know popular song, and I would just say Bing <laughs> over the top of the song. Bing, and Bing. it sort of evolved into this uh, this larger idea. But then someone heard me at the IHOP, and uh, they became the cra- not the real Crazy Fog, but they became a yeah Daniel Mamadol, not the real one, but a again I am left with nothing. Yeah. Now, now we have to 
now, now you're hitting a shitty. <laughs> so, so I'm confused. So, where are you going with this? What is what is this all to say? I'm just saying that if this shitty podcast, I'm sorry, I didn't. No, mean that's that. no, that's fine. It is. I'm, it's a, I'm telling it's, jokes. It's a shit. I'm telling jokes. If this is shit. Yeah. If this, Keeps if this, it. if this takes off and goes somewhere, mm-hmm. someone's gonna take our idea of. Yeah. It's gonna be well. Well, they're just gonna take our podcast episodes and they're yeah. gonna say "Bing Bing Bob Who's Bow." <laughs> <laughs> Who's an unfunny guy that was in a TV show and then he he could just make a podcast? And David then... Schwimmer. Who the fuck is that? Ross from Friends. Okay, like a more like a more more modern guy, like a YouTube video guy. Oh shit! Like, oh, who I could make a podcast? Who's like a, not a comedian? Funny. Who's yeah, not funny. Oh, Cody Ko. I mean, he's already got a podcast. But who is that? Uh, Tiny Meat Gang. Dude, <laughs> you're. You're just saying words. Yeah, you? you're you're just. See, this is why I thought you came up with gaslight, gatekeeping, girl boss. Yeah, because you say these fucking ridiculous you're things. Just, I, like, I don't even you, know if you're it's pretending English. like it's real. Yeah. How do you spell Cody Co? Cody with a C, Co with a K O. K O. Cody with a C. Okay, so that's just a white guy. Yeah. Actor, comedian, YouTuber. I mean, actor's a bit of a stretch. Rapper. Unfortunately, internet bad oh, boy. He does not look like he could. Based rap. in Venice, or should Cody Michael Kaladzglajuslik. Now I know why he goes by Cody. Yeah, he's yeah. also Canadian. I'm pretty I sure. I see that. Yeah, probably not originally, but um. What do you mean originally? Well, it's not a very Canadian name, and it's like Polish, I think, which is fine. I I have a Polish Canadian friend, and mm-hmm. he had like a super Polish name, and he literally just turned it into. Like Matt, mm. it was it was like Matosh. like Cody Co. Yeah, it was it was like Matosh, <laughs> and then he had like a very like like Borscht. He he had like a, an insanely <laughs> like a uh, Polish last name, and he just turned it into Peterson or something like that. <laughs> it's the Canadian concentration camp called Auschwitz. Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> Auschwitz. They say shucks. Auschwitz. Yeah. It's a little sassy. Welcome back to yeah. Little Sassy, Little Disturbed, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. that's Derek. Yep. And uh, returning I'm back. is uh, Stephen. Not Stephen A. Smith, actually. We <coughs> said Stephen A. Smith last that was time. A that was a joke. Yeah. We <laughs> don't have famed and renowned <laughs> basketball if you f- commentator. If you fell for that, this isn't the show for you. You're, you're you so stupid. Idiot. You're, you're so dumb. This is a smart people show. You're the dumbest person I know. We got to start out differently this. We got to say, um, if you like the show, mm-hmm. we need you to show us. Yeah, please. By going on to a platform and clicking a, a button with your finger, mm-hmm. because it lifts us up in mm-hmm. the algorithm. We don't have a single bad rating yet. For for yeah. every we're going for, to get for them. every like, I get a McChicken sandwich. I don't know how that works. We, yeah, I'm not sure. We we're not buying them. Okay, I don't know where they're coming. Maybe he's just doing it a celebration. You're gonna buy your own McChicken. Yeah. Okay. Like every time you see a like, just a dollar. Like ooh, well, it's like a dollar seventy. Yeah. So you know, like, comment, subscribe, write a manifesto, do that, whatever you want. I have been told that rating five stars could potentially give you your foreskin back. 
really. Yeah. Five for four. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, if you think uh, my voice, you think uh, you think I sound like a little cutie, tell me. <laughs> Let him. I need. Okay. I need, well, I need validation yeah. from internet people. Tell me a Let cutie. him know. Uh, you know. Tell 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 Stephen if you want to give him a big old kiss. Give him a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know. Yep. Oh, that's good. That's a good Ooh, kiss. Yeah. I like that. Here, not boy. as good. The second one, not as good. Yeah, but the first but one was, was classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did have a correction from two weeks ago that I forgot about. Okay. This is very niche. <laughs> so, um, it's very Kafka esque. <laughs> I said that a character from Breakfast of Champions was Dwayne Hooper, um, is the guy that believed everybody in the world was fake but him. It's not true. His name's Dwayne Hoover. Hoover. Oh. Dwayne Hooper is a black man. He's a basketball in player. In that book. Nope. Hooper. Nope. <laughs> He's a man in that book who gets out of prison. It's the same book. And he goes to work for Dwayne Hoover because he believes that it's his destiny because their names are very similar. It's just a V and a P. I just want is I just it? want for the record I want to say that I didn't say he was a basketball player uh-huh. because Derek said he was You, you already black. had the joke lined up. Yeah. And then it, is that it just like sort the of, guy who like uh took a bunch of like Domino's workers hostage because he thought he was annoyed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've heard about I that. No, but I, I don't, don't. I'm not familiar with. I that. think his name was like his last name was Noid or and something. Like, am I the little rabbit guy? Am I that little freak? Am I gonna ruin people's pizzas? <laughs> They're taking everything from me. <laughs> <laughs> He's waving a gun around. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're <laughs> okay. Oh no, the Noid. <laughs> and think about that. I stay up late at night staring into the Noid. <laughs> You throw on your uh, your sleep records, you rip a yeah. bowl, and you just look straight into the noise. <laughs> Did you know that there's a Domino's in our town, and uh-huh. they have a shrine to the Noid in it? Wait, which one? The one that looks like a castle. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Wait, one. wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Oh, that one? Yeah, they have a That's, Noid shrine. I, I would like to call that one the Domino's of the future. <laughs> yeah. Because they have like an upstairs. It's also the Domino's of the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, so because uh, I used to work at the Sprint store in Hazeldale when it was uh, still when Sprint still existed, it was right next to the Five Guys in Hazeldale. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, every time we won like a sales contest, my district manager would just be like, "All right, it's waiting at the Domino's. Go get it." And I'm like, <sighs> "That's funny because I always sprinted to the Five Guys." <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to part two of the Russo-Japanese War mm-hmm. comedy. Is it Russo or Russia? Russo. Well, I heard. I, I was watching a video and somebody kept saying Russo. Shouldn't believe everything you hear on the internet. I shouldn't. I said Russo. So, anyways, we're talking about the Franco-Prussian War. <laughs> I think I said Russo last week, and Ian he corrected me. Yeah. Russo. Well, here's my thing: is that if we're going to anglicize something, uh-huh. why wouldn't we? Well, actually, not even anglicize it, but if we're going to spell it so that we can pronounce it phonetically in English, why wouldn't they just spell it phonetically? Well, it would still be Russo. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, why wouldn't it be... If it was Russia, why wouldn't we have just made it R-U-S-H-O? Yeah, the Russo-Limbaugh-Japanese war <laughs> doesn't matter. So, last week we discussed a lot of the events and situations that brought this war to fruition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a new word for you, Ian. Wow. I knew that word no, you already. Didn't. Nope. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. This band Here's the thing, Derek. Stories. When I don't know a word, I will tell you. Have I ever not? I definitely uh, Today we're going to talk about the war itself and the little battles that occurred within it. There are also big battles. I don't know why I said that. A lot of people died. Silly little a lot, battles. A lot of, whole, whole <laughs> lot of, and I see them every time I close my eyes. The Russo-Japanese War is significant in world history, not only because it solidified Japan's emergence as a formidable empirical power, but it also forced European powers to realize that they were not innately superior to Asian people as they had once believed. They did a little racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. As a treat. 
They said something about small penises. I do not agree with we it. Know that LSLD, we, we here at LSLD never. do not agree with racial stereotypes. They're, unless they're true. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they exist for a reason. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like white people have uh, really, really average-sized cocks. <laughs> yeah. White people, cocks. they drive like this. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have penises. We have cocks. We have cocks. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, this war also showcased numerous military and technological advances in use for the first time in history. Sure did. Many of these would be again used in World War One with devastating effects. Yeah, humans were getting really good at killing each other. You know, everybody has skills. Yeah. One of these advancements would actually be enormous howitzers able to launch shells weighing nearly 500 pounds over five miles. And these were intended specifically for coastal seizures. Sieges. Not seizures. Se- well, <laughs> I mean, a seizure, I mean, that's, yeah, fair. They were for seizing uh, shorelines. The, the memes of production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you smell toast? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a stroke. Oh. Yeah. Damn. I had one of those before I came. Yeah. Oh, good luck. So, yeah. a little bit. Another weapon, another new weapon, was a recoil-operated machine gun referred to as the Maxim gun. Uh, you ordered it out of a magazine. So the first fully automatic machine gun in existence, uh, it looked kind of like that classic Gatling gun style from Old West movies, you know, like on a train or yeah, something. Yeah, it had a hand crank, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, I don't think it did. Oh, okay. yeah, I think I think the ones before that, I think did. early ones did. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, this I'm is this one's. We're talking brand oh, like new, full like no. Oh yeah, like the first time it's fully automatic. Okay. Yep, yeah, the yeah. first one. Wait, was it belt fed or was it actually um, Maxim? I think so. Yeah. So, in fact, historian Martin Gilbert referred to the Maxim gun as, quote, the weapon most associated with imperial conquest due to its extensive use by colonial powers following its introduction in the Russo-Japanese War. Yep. So, just to rattle off several more tech advancements uh, or war techniques, excuse me, techniques that were seen for the first time during this war, uh, rifles with bolt action, uh, barbed wire electrical fences, arc lamps, searchlights, tactical radio communication, and the resultant radio jamming by the enemy, modern hand grenades, large-scale trench warfare, and finally the repurposing of naval mines for use on land. They were just like... <laughs> just stick those giant things like in the ground and hope people like fucking... I don't think all naval mines were those giant things like from Finding Nemo. Okay. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, no, they're all the big little spiky balls. Yeah. Think so? Yeah. I just think it's uh, it's fair to say that this is probably like the first ever like modern war, yeah. Like, in that sense, know, machine yeah. guns, you know, bolt so action rifles. First time they were used, and so it's funny. Like later on, we'll find out that so the implementation of these modern tactics and weapons results in in marked escalation in casualties, right, in shorter periods of time. But we'll find out that that some of that is because with even though they had these new weapons and technologies, they still did like this the same like. We should all line up and charge right. in a group. They right. hadn't adapted to yeah. the fact that there was a fucking machine gun and yeah. guys in a yeah. trench with barbed wire. <laughs> they just ran at it. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. make a line for them. Uh, uh, guys, okay, line. so we're going to take a turn, and then you're <laughs> uh, going to take a uh, turn. No, no, hold on. Let's let's all pretend like we got we to gotta reload those weird little guns. It's called the rules of engagement. You know, we used to have proper wars. <laughs> Not these... these Okay. You know what I say? Smart bomb, dumb people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're fucking playing with fire. I love that. That's good. Okay. You know who else was playing with fire? This would be the first and final war decided almost exclusively by battleships. Yeah. 
both sides ended up utilizing a lot of what I like to call human bullets. Mm. Battleship, I just want to I just want to let everyone know, Battleship is a uh, registered trademark of Milton Bradley. Mm-hmm. And so this episode is actually brought to you by Milton Bradley. Yeah. Um, Liquid Death and LaCroix both out. The, <laughs> it's Milton Bradley now. Yeah, Milton Bradley, the originators of the catchphrase, what are you doing, stepsister, um, because she tried to cheat in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty sneaky, sis. Uh-huh. What are you doing, step sis? You can't put all your battleships in a row. You know what I mean? Yeah. Should we get into some warring? I'm, I'm, I'm interested in some warring. Steven, you want to go to war? Um, let's ask for. Con- do let's I, ask. Do, do I have a choice? Um, well, here's the thing. I'm kind of brown and I'm not rich, so uh, put me on the front line. Oh yeah, buddy, you're going right <laughs> to the front. <laughs> just, just. Right into the Creedence Clearwater revivals. Someone's born, made to wave the flag. It's just Steven yeah, in the that's, front. That's actually in my playlist of songs my dad beat me to. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, you're not a fortunate son. Fun, <laughs> fun fact, uh, the folks that John Fogarty was referring to about being born made to wave the flag are the uh, the poor black kids yeah. in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as we said before, Russia at this time had the largest standing army in the world. They didn't even let them sit down and take a break. <laughs> bum, 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 Buddy. Bum. Okay. I hear you. Mm. Additionally, Russians, like many other Europeans, believed themselves inherently superior to Asians, specifically the Japanese, who they saw as inbred descendants of their historical enemy, the Mongols. We don't agree with this. That's, I just want, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's what they said. That's their words, saying. not ours. So what we're doing right now is we're reading mm-hmm. the information. Opinions. The opinions. They're not ours. It's 116, 17 years ago. They're not ours. No. We, we don't agree with that. We hate it. Actually, me, me. What are you looking at me for? I'm just. I need you to back Ian up here. I don't think they're sandbags. I wouldn't stack them up. Is like, it a Gran Torino? Yeah, he's doing great. He's doing Gran Torino. Oh boy, I love that. I love Gran Torino because like it makes white people feel so good that they're like, you know, in the end, even though he hated the Asians. He protected one of them. Yeah, yeah. one of them. And they While actually killing others. The best part about uh, Gran Torino is that uh, the the old crotchety white guy and the Asians found common ground by hating black people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They 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 ended racism by being racist together. Yeah, if we all just joined forces. Okay, so um <laughs> With this in mind, the Russians believed that they would quickly and easily crush the Japanese in any armed conflict. We will decimate the Japanese. We must break you. <laughs> the Russian government also believed... That's a rocky road to war. The Russian government also believed that a quick war victory would raise morale back home as things weren't going so hot over there. They were like, oh my god, Nikolai, did you hear it? We decimated Japan. Who would have ever guessed that we were accomplishing such great feats of war? Maybe now we do not have to kill Tsar Nicholas. <laughs> you sound like Dracula. <laughs> I want to beat the Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you say? I said, I think that's Romanians, Mm. dude. Yeah. So there was growing discontent. No, keep doing it, though. You know, there was growing discontent among the Russian people concerning the unquestionable power of the czar, and they began to demand changes. And by changes, I mean uh, they wanted to Mm -hmm. change his head from being attached to his body (laughs) to being not attached to his body. It's just called rearranging. (laughs) I I think that actually happens later to somebody. Uh, well, Tsar Nicholas II, much later in 1918 or whatever, he gets shot in a basement. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure how they executed him. Mm-hmm. They shot him. Yeah. yeah. He kept his head. And his whole family. 
Yeah. And buried Even the them. little guy. Mm-hmm. The yeah. little, that little, little hemophiliac. Mm-hmm. And that's the day they actually invented white Russians. So... <laughs> Uh, they said this act of aggression will not stand. All right, so there was uh, no cabinet in Russia at this time, so they had nowhere to store their um, jackets mm-hmm. or, or you know uh, salt, and, salt and peppers. Yeah. Okay. So the czar's powers were unchecked. He was an absolute monarch in the traditional sense. Yeah. Like God intended. Hmm. He said, "Privet." Divine right monarch. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. God picked the right one, right? Yeah. So, Tsar Nicholas II was opposed to any changes that would diminish his power, and the average Russian had not forgiven him for the aforementioned beer and pretzel stampede from episode one. You know what I always say? Mm Mm-hmm. These pretzels are making me thirsty. You know what he always says? Smart pretzels, dumb people. (laughs) 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 Says it all the time. They didn't buy enough snacks. This this is the worst, uh, what is it? This is the worst Oktoberfest I've ever been to. It was like his, uh, oh my God, coronation. Oh. He had a coronation artery. So Nicholas II was strangely uneducated considering his position. Uh, He was stubborn and adverse to disagreements, and apparently he thought that all peasants uh, everywhere were just happy. Like, he just figured. He just sounds like a little cranky guy. He was, Mm. uh, of of the three cousins that were running European countries at the time, he was, I'm pretty sure, like, the most bad at his job, if I remember Mm. right. He, he, He was all like... People, people just don't want to work anymore. He was at this. I would actually agree with that. Um, in the late nineteenth to early twentieth century, he was quite, out of the four large power. You know, looking at Britain, France, Germany, and Russia, he was yep. the worst one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the guys in the Ottoman Empire were just getting blown by like seventeen women. At they were just like, time. yo, you know, it's tight opium and kicking back in your chair, <laughs> getting reverse blow banged. That's what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Actually, know I, I should that. say I don't even know for sure that the Ottoman Empire was doing a lot of opium. I just it that was just China. Felt right. yeah. yeah, you can't stop those guys from getting their dicks sucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Nicholas II, even his dad thought he was dumb. Um, so Nicholas the first. Yeah, actually. Um, uh, when Nicholas II became czar, he literally said, I know nothing, and he refused to discuss things he didn't understand. He's just like, I don't know how any of this shit works, and I'm fucking scared. He didn't like it. He didn't want to, And you know what else he was afraid of? The Japanese. Yeah. Uh, if you recall, I think I mentioned last week that he was attacked by a Japanese police officer that was assigned to protect him during the emissary trip to Japan. This is called the, what is that, Otsu? Otsu. Uh, yeah, what is probably the, Otsu. What is the line over the O? I think, it's a, I think it's a long O. So Otsu, probably. Okay. Otsu. The Otsu incident, uh, where the police officer Suda Sanzo. Huh? Yeah, probably. Suda, ah, okay. Sanzo. Suda Sanzo swung a saber at Nicholas's face and sliced a four-inch gash into his forehead that would leave a scar. Fortunately for Nicholas II, Prince George of Greece and also Denmark uh, parried the second blow and saved his life. Also, fortunately for Nicholas, uh, the ladies love a good facial scar. It yeah. makes you look like badass. They do. And, and the, you know what? The first time that I talked about this in the first episode, I didn't put much research into this. And then now when I'm reading it, a four-inch gash in his forehead is like, he's fine. Yeah. It's like yeah. you hit your well, head it's on like, the, it's it's like this you much. You turn into Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like roughly four inches. Is like your your fingers. Yeah, basically. You're fine. Yeah, it could be in such a and, and it's instead of being fine, he just became extremely racist. He got bonked. That's he, less. He was like, I knew it. I knew that the Japanese <laughs> were shit. 
I was aware. All right, so considering the unrest at home, stoking the flames of potential war to unite the country could only benefit the Tsar. Thus, Russia continued to fortify Port Arthur and to pour troops into Manchuria. Uh, we talked about in the first episode that Port Arthur is, they leased from China. It's off a little peninsula off of Korea, and it's the only warm water port that Russia has at this time. Um, so as a potential war gained more popularity among the Russian people, uh, apparently Russian children sang songs in the streets of the coming defeat of the, quote, little yellow monkeys. So that it's shows so you... Nice. You don't like that? No, no. Uh, you like the song? Are they talking about... Um what was it, Curious George? No, they're talking about the Japanese people. Well, he wore a little rain jacket. Maybe, I think they, no, the, the man he's with wore a yellow jacket. Yeah, the man in yellow. Yeah, no, I think they gave the monkey they a little They had matching ones? Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but Curious George is actually An about the, Ru- the Russo-Japanese. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, from the Japanese side, they saw Russia as their primary obstacle in Korea, and rightfully so. The Japanese still harbored resentment, due to the triple intervention, uh, which is when Russia, Germany, and France forced them to return their land gains from victory in the Sino-Japanese War. Included in the land that they had to return was Port Arthur, and the Japanese believed that it rightfully belonged to them, and they were incensed when China leased that port along with the surrounding territory to Russia. Yeah, it's like like they, they told everybody to fuck off, and then like Russia just like stuck around and like, no. Like, we're just going to hang out here. No, yeah, basically, they, everybody came in to help for the Boxer Rebellion, right? Yeah. And then everybody left, and Russia was like, what if we buy this? Hear me I'm out. Not, I'm not sure how, how like, one-sided that, like, you know. China did not want to lease it to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They forced them, essentially, yeah. Like, fuck it, we're already here. Like, we'll give you a little bit of money, right? Yeah, so they I leased it. I got you a dollar. I got you, okay. <laughs> You gotta reach in my pocket. So the 25-year lease of Port Arthur gave Russia a year-round port in the Pacific for the first time in their history. As Russia continued to ignore Japanese objections and move troops into Manchuria to fortify Port Arthur, large-spread demonstrations began in Japan against these Russian actions and against the perceived lack of action of their own government. The Japanese Navy had been quickly built up in an arms race with China, leading to the Sino-Japanese War, with Japan buying ships from Britain and China from Germany. The Japanese even modeled their navy after the British Royal Navy, which at the time was the most formidable sea force in the world. Japan had gone from an agrarian feudal nation with samurai roaming the streets to a powerful, formidable, powerful, formidable power that was formidable. (laughs) (laughs) Japan Japan had gone from an agrarian feudal nation with samurai roaming the streets to a formidable power with imperial aspirations in around 40 years. It's pretty dramatic. They got funny little suits and Mm -hmm. little parts. Okay. That's... They're business guys. Now. Yeah, they, they became little business guys. Little business guys. So a lot of these people in Japan were actually born into traditional Japan, and they saw this complete transition. This includes many of the Japanese military leaders. Kind of like how, you know, all the old people that are born in, like, 1910 saw cars and airplanes. and yeah. Smartphones, dumb people. <sighs> there it is. Okay. Well, Japan was flush with confidence following their decisive defeat of China. They knew that they could not take on Russia, Germany, and France at the same time. If they were to achieve their expansionist goals in East Asia, Japan knew that war with Russia was inevitable. 
This was one of the primary reasons behind the Anglo-Japanese alliance that they signed with Britain in 1902. This treaty stipulated that Britain and Japan would aid one another if either nation found themselves engaged in conflict with more than one other nation. I didn't know AIDS had been invented yet. Okay, we all got AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. This meant that if Japan went to war with Russia and France and or Germany became involved, Britain would come to Japan's defense. Like when you're getting bullied and your big brother comes and mm-hmm. he's just like, hey, quit it. I drive a Camaro. And the kids are like, oh, no, it's his big brother. My big brother is like really big and really strong. He could beat up your dad. I know. I saw I saw the uh, the height marks on the on the <laughs> on the wall at, at Thirsty. Yeah. And I just, uh, that was my, my big brother, very strong. <laughs> my dad could suck your dad off. So. This made it increasingly possible for Japan to take on Russia alone without their European allies. At this time, Japan was aware that Russia had a larger army and a navy, and a navy. They had one. There was yep, they, lots they, of seamen they sure in Russia. Did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Japan was able. Said to there were no more cum jokes. Ja- that, uh, there's more to come. Japan was able to mobilize about one million troops out of a population of around forty-six million. What's the ratio on that, Stephen? Uh, 1 to 46. Yeah. <laughs> Russia would call upon up to 3 million men with their reserves. How many toothpicks? How many toothpicks? Um, not that kind of. So <laughs> both nations had a system of compulsory service and conscription, and we all know how motivated those kind of soldiers are. Do we? Do we know? They're not very motivated. I think, I think one side was significantly more motivated than the other. One, yeah. side, was, one side was a lot fresher. See that. What Japan didn't know at the time is that most Russian soldiers received little training beyond looking badass on the parade grounds, and a lot of them traded or sold the little supplies they were given. So outside of the elite troops, the Russian military was not the most disciplined force. A little, a little bit of a goof em ups yeah, Just having fun. Yeah. We like to have fun here. Yeah. <laughs> we like to have fun here. Um, Nikolai, do you want to hear a joke? <laughs> No. Privet comrade. Uh, okay. Actually, they probably weren't calling each other comrade yet. Probably not. No, it's pre-revolution. But they probably were calling each other comrade. Hey. <laughs> there it is. <coughs> I hear they fucked a lot. Uh, each other. Okay. So, interesting. <laughs> when the vodka flows. Interesting note here. The Russian government opted to leave the majority of their better trained soldiers close to home. Whether this was because they feared German invasion. Those crafty Germans always... Hmm? Up to something. Yep. In fact, they, we've kind of let no, them... I don't, I don't think they ever did anything weird. We we let them fly under the radar for far too long. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kaiser Permanente really did a number on them. <laughs> for your health. So, they either feared German invasion or internal revolution, uh, though we don't know for sure which one, but most of the soldiers they sent to fight the Japanese were compulsory service members. On last week's episode of LSLD, we gave you a brief overview of the Japanese surprise attack on Port Arthur in February of 1904. We also gave you a warning that this was going to be the last time, and if you showed up to school tomorrow, that it would be a bad idea. (laughs) I I don't don't remember any of that. the jackass. (laughs) I don't remember any of that. I don't think we covered that, so I guess I need to hit the books. Not tomorrow, though, obviously. Hit the books, like, with, with bullets? No the only country in the world where this makes any sense so we also gave you way too much background 
background backpack information of what to bring tomorrow to school. We also gave you way too much background <laughs> information on the events leading up to the Russo-Japanese War. Today we're going to take it a little easier. Have a little fun with it. Goof around a little bit. A little, some goofs, some gaffs. A couple of primary battles. Some hee-hees, some ha-has. Some some big some big battles some some uh, a big old big old field trip with a lot mm-hmm. of goofs along the way. <laughs> I hope this is a normal field trip with the frizz. No way, cruising up on Main Street, the Japanese Russo War. What is that? <laughs> magic school bus. Huh. I I honestly could not tell you what the magic school bus theme was like. Now you remember a little bit. <laughs> No, I went to Christian school. That's against the law. Though. Oh yeah, magic is uh, is illegal in in God's. They eyes. talk about evolution. Uh, the real friends me. were the dead bodies we left in the trenches along the way. <laughs> we have twenty six pages left. Oh, <laughs> a lot of jazz here. Yeah, that's fun. Huh. Wasn't there an episode where they like, drove past a bunch of giant humans? There, uh, there sure were. There's yeah. an episode where the magic school bus flies into Tower 7. <laughs> um, With the frizz? No way! Please let these be normal fuel trip. I want to see Miss Frizzle's laptop. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's start by going back to that fateful night on February 8th, 1904, when the newly formed Japanese Navy glided into the harbor wherein lay Port Arthur. This plan had been orchestrated by the Admiral, or Jensu, I think. Sui, Jensui. Jensui, of the Japanese fleet Togo. Hei Hachiro. Hei Hachiro? Yeah. Yeah, Togo Hei Hachiro. Even at this time, journalists in the West had coined Togo the Nelson of the East. Yeah, like Nelson Mandela. No, like Nelson as in the famous... British naval officer Horatio, known for his unorthodox yet highly successful tactics. On the last episode, we talked about how the Japanese squadron ran into a group of Russian vessels out on patrol in Korea Bay. Just Russian before. wessels. <laughs> oh, those little funny guys. Nuclear wessels. Is this Goonies? No, it's uh, it's Star Trek. Huh. Booby twap. So, wow, you really threw me off there. Yeah. Uh, they ran into those vessels, I right? I was sucking you off. They were uh, patrolling just after, just uh, before midnight, and uh, the Russians were under orders not to engage, and they simply recorded and reported the encounter to HQ. HQ means headquarters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. true. In case you forgot, last, last for the episode. for the uninitiated or um, H HQ HQ. She's a human being. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's Thursday. For the Japanese, however, this chance encounter fomented chaos as two of the Japanese destroyers collided and the rest of the squadron scattered. Are we good? Are we good? Okay. I'm just checking. I'm great. Thank you for asking. I didn't mean to do the racism. <laughs> he didn't have to do the racism. <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> it's okay to be white. Just a, you know. Sometimes my tough exterior cracks. It's okay to be white for now. <laughs> <laughs> Until the blue hairs decide it's not anymore. Check it out. Oh no. You're on thin ice, you're buddy. You're a decider. <laughs> Check it out. Blue you're on, hair. You're on thin <laughs> blue hair. <laughs> you're on thin rice, buddy. So uh much like the Japanese military who had uh, not a lot of food, so 
Even with this unforeseen complication, the Japanese were committed to completing their mission, and so many of them carried on towards Port Arthur alone as they were now separated from their group. The buddy system is important, I think. Mm-hmm. You guys are my buddies. Ian, you look like you're reaching to an ethereal plane. You're John <laughs> Lillian. <laughs> I'm having he, sex he with the universe. The, the I just fattest. came. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is could that, come in his mind. <laughs> you know, like I, hear, sugar. I hear those those vapes are just like the government training us to to suck off our robot overlords in the near future. I hope I hope it tastes half as good as this. Yeah. <laughs> so the first four Russian vessels arrived at Port Arthur's. Is that? Are you tricking me? Japanese. Or there? No. Wessels isn't wrong. It's not bad. No, because they say their V's like W's. Okay. Weaker, weaker. Okay, the Wessels. Nuclear Wessels. Shortly after midnight, they stealthily approached the brightly lit up Russian ships and unleashed a barrage of torpedoes upon the sleeping fleet. They went... No, did they Did they sleep like... Or no, they went... Yeah, Drake was on board. They're... Russian... Men who drank a bottle of vodka each to go to sleep on a ship. I'm pretty sure it was more like just like the. (laughs) 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 I don't know about that. I'm not sure that ever happened, but it's the it's the chainsaw. It's like yeah. (laughs) Hold on. Yeah. Pulling something up. Yeah, it's very important. mm, Yep. You gotta stop so Ian can. <laughs> Dad? Is Dad back? Have you seen that video of the where they're like, uh, scientists were able to reconstruct like what a Japanese sparrow would sound like, and someone edited the video so he just goes like, ah! <laughs> okay. So the remaining Japanese destroyers streamed in over the next hour in groups or individually and joined in the attack. By the time the final Japanese vessel, the Oboro, the Oboy Oboro, arrived and launched its torpedoes. By the time that guy got there, the Russians were wide awake and they were returning fire aided by bright searchlights lighting up Japanese positions. The Japanese then turned around and tried to make their escape. As we discussed last week, the Japanese had fired 16 torpedo, torpedoes. Torpedoes. Torpedo. And they had... Torpedoes, se- blood. Blood. They had severely damaged three Russian crips. Sorry, three <laughs> Russian ships. Two battleships, the Redvisen and the Cesarevich, and as well as the Cruiser, the Cruiser, the Palata. It's a cruiser. It's a PT cruiser Palata. So what we didn't mention last week is that that of those 16 torpedoes fired, only three of them hit. So all three of them. I think I think that's actually like like good accuracy for torpedoes. Yeah. I think they're, At the they're time, not they're not guided by anything. They're just yeah. launched forward. But yeah. there was also there was also lots of uh, torpedo nets that the Russians had put down. So 13 of them, you know, missed or got caught in the nets or just failed to det- uh, to detonate. You know. Um, I actually have an excerpt here from Tsar Nicholas II's diary. We have a secret sneak peek into his his Majesty, his Majesty's sneaky, cute little Japanese. It's the diary of Nick. Something's getting in the way. (laughs) 
the Japanese are the ones. I'm so- just trying to find my place in the diary of Nick. Okay, well, Ian is going to read uh, Czar Nicholas's diary. Ahem. <laughs> Went to theater eight that day. They were doing Rusalka. Very good. <laughs> Returning home, received a telegram from Alexeyev with the news that the night Japanese torpedo boats had carried out an attack against the Cesarevich, Paleda, etc., which were at anchor and put holes in them. Is this undeclared war? Then may God help us. Come in, mother. So, <laughs> the funniest thing to me is that three ships got hit, and he just names two and says, etc. He's nothing if not efficient. Yeah, this, like, is, this is a direct quote. He's oh, just saving time. <laughs> he literally wrote, Cesarevich, Palata, etc. Do you realize how much longer ones? it would take to write down uh, Rus- Ruskivia? Retsevin. Yeah. Uh, do you know how much longer it would take to write Retsevin than ETC? Come on. He probably forgot how they were spelled. <laughs> He's pretty dumb. Well, the play pretty was really dumb. good. So, yeah. His mind was kind of wandering to, just back like, to the, the theater. <laughs> the theater! I'm too focused on the cartoons that I was watching. That's, that's Cat Tom really gets into lots of <laughs> hijinks trying to catch Mouse. <laughs> mouse Jerry! It's so He's smart. so funny. He, he I laugh eat, every he time. He's a piece of cheese. He, he looked like cheese. Ian, you sound like an old Mexican woman. <laughs> what? <laughs> he said... I laugh every time. (laughs) Mr. Superman, no fear. No. We need more lemon pledge. Yeah, it's Family Guy Friday, people. It's Thursday. Damn you, Ah, woman. Shit. (laughs) Family Guy Friday on Freeform. Today's episode is brought to you by Freeform's Family Guy Friday. Mm -hmm. Damn you, woman. They play play Family Guy. (laughs) What the deuce? What the what the what the deuce? I love when the gay little baby says that. You know what my favorite part about Family Guy, baby? <laughs> Hates his mom. Yeah. yeah, doesn't like her at all. I hate yeah. my mom too. Yeah, so. I feel like Family Guy, baby, is just like me. Because I say what the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> I say what the deuce. You I actually say, said it first. I said I'd be saying, "Damn you, woman!" <laughs> it's vile woman. I say crazy. <laughs> so, Ford Mouse. The crazy cat It's always up to something My favorite song is by Crazy Frog I love him He's comrade best Isn't he Russian? Crazy Frog? No he's. I think he's like European He's he's not that Like Western European. European Yeah I think he's Russian I think he's like Swedish or something I'm pretty sure Sweet Swedish I think it might be German Yeah Well the Gummy Bear song too Yeah that's what That's why I said that I cannot decide which I prefer, Comrade Gummy Bear or Comrade <laughs> Crazy Frog. <Fucking> gummy Bear. <laughs> After this, uh, let's call it emotional diary entry, uh, Nicholas II's advisors were able to calm him down by assuring him that the Japanese couldn't possibly win the war because they didn't know how to fight, and one Russian soldier was worth two and a half Japanese men. I think it would... I think the the death numbers kind of came out to that, right? Well, I'm pretty sure number one, if it's two and a half Japanese men, I'm pretty sure Charlie Sheen is Vietnamese because he was Charlie in the bushes because he was fucking in that show. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and they got pushed on a train track after he called the uh, the writer of that show uh, the the K word. Yeah, my last name with an R, Mm -hmm. without the R. Yeah. So okay, 
Now known as the Battle of Port Arthur, this marked the, open, the opening of the Russo-Japanese War as both nations formally declared war on one another shortly after this. It also marked the beginning of the blockade of Port Arthur that would lead to its eventual siege. We'll get there. Hey, what a wonderful kind of day. Where we can live to siege and, uh, you know what? Rhymes and with? slay. There we go. That's good. That's like Halo. I yeah. like that. You know. Slayer. Uh-oh, stinky. Poop. Funny. What the deuce. So earlier that same day, another contingent of Japanese vessels, Wessels, was tasked with attacking the Russian units stationed at the Korean port city of Shimolpu. Chemolpu. Chemolpu. The main port city for the capital city of Seoul. Is that Russian for Camelpu? I think it's a Korean word or Chinese. Oh, no. Yeah. Did I do a racism again? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think that's a racism. Probably. Probably. <laughs> also, the, the, the camels are in Mongolia. So, however, as the Japanese approached, the Russians did nothing. Even when the Japanese ships landed and began unloading soldiers onto Korean soil right in front of them. They went, if he die, he die. He said, nah. <laughs> They're like, look at these funny little monkeys. <laughs> they, they said, they look so silly with their said, little parts and their swords. Not my problem. <laughs> they were just sitting back, smoking their pipes, drinking their vodka, going, you know what? We have good time. If they don't, that's their problem. I do not care. In fact, the Japanese unloaded so many troops, it took them a week. But still, the Russians did nothing. When the Japanese began to attack, the Russians pulled back, surprised, and easily gave up. Uh, they gave up their bussies to the Japanese, which they invaded very swiftly. And uh, there was there's actually a cum shot compilation you can watch of this. So what you're saying is uh, the Russians pulled out as soon as the Japanese unloaded a bunch of seamen? The Russians pulled back, giving up easily defensible positions. It's not the first time that's going to happen. Missionary accomplished. So in addition, once again... In addition, once the Japanese blockaded Port Arthur, the acting commander of the 1st Pacific Squadron at Port Arthur, Admiral Oscar Stark, chose to remain in port, easily defended by the shore batteries at Port Arthur. Thus, the Japanese could basically land troops wherever the fuck they wanted along the peninsula. Yeah, his Oscar Mayer Stark <laughs> wiener. And it was really cool because um, the port was actually at the bottom of a really big hill. Mm -hmm. And um, Oh, the Battle of Bunker Hill, yeah. yeah. Nope. You know, you just said Oscar Mayer Stark Wiener, and I'm just glad you didn't do like a Game of Thrones thing. In fact, the Japanese unloaded so much cum into the, the bussy of the... <laughs> bussy. My Russian It's Soviet Russia. Oh. We suck off Japanese guy. Let <laughs> me <laughs> get my bussy filled. Oh, yeah. But yeah. in Russian. Now the stage is set. Japan attacked Port Arthur. Wakanda forever. <laughs> now the stage is set. <laughs> Japan, that's okay. You can cough. Hey, you're cough to get it off, man. Damn you, woman. So the stage vile is set. Woman. Damn you, woman. Vile, vile woman. <laughs> I prefer a vile of men. Vile you, damn woman. Finally, a load of this guy. Now the stage is set. Japan attacked Port Arthur, landed large numbers of troops in Korea, and declared war at some point on February 9th. Even after the Japanese surprise attack, Admiral Stark still had five battleships, five cruisers, and a host of destroyers and torpedo boats, and also two tickets to paradise. How oh. <laughs> However, Admiral Stark was in fact so adamant about staying put within the safety net of the port guns, even against direct orders, that Tsar Nicholas II fired him and replaced him. 
Unfortunately, we are not satisfied with your performance, and we are going to have to let you go. It's hmm. a stark reality. Such a stark contrast. Mm. You have a stark joke? <laughs> no, I'm good, man. Okay. <laughs> Didn't want to do that one. I think this is a good time to introduce a couple of my favorite officers in the Russian military. General mishaps and major design flaws. Do we salute? Do we salute them? Took me all day to come up with that. How do we salute in Russian? I don't know if there's a general rule. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unhappy. The Tsar swiftly replaced Admiral Stark on February 24th with Admiral Stefan... Stefan Curry. And uh, boy, was he in a hurry to get the blockade out of there, so... The Tsar swiftly replaced Admiral Stark on February 24th with Admiral Stepan Makarov. Yeah, and I hear he lasted like a really long time. It's Makarov. (laughs) Admiral Makarov, who was by all accounts brilliant and capable, also had one of the most insane beards that I've ever seen. Makarov, uh, the admiral, back to the uh, Port Arthur here. Uh, Makarov inherited command of the blockaded port and actively fired back upon Japanese cruisers when they bombarded Port Arthur from the Yellow Sea. As we know, Stephen has told us that that's made of PP. That's that's the boy P1. <laughs> boy P1. Uh, under his command, the Russian fleet became very active, not sexually, uh, and prepared for their chance to break the blockade. Makarov was soon gifted the opportunity to make his move when the Russian destroyer Strazny was followed and attacked by a couple of its Japanese counterparts while attempting to return from patrol on April the 13th. Makarov first sent several destroyers out to aid the vessel in distress, but behind them he sent three battleships, including the flagship that he himself was on, five cruisers, and even more destroyers out of the port to engage and crush the Japanese vessels. Wessels. Wessels. Wessel sprouts. <laughs> the Japanese ships turned rudder and appeared to retreat, and Makarov moved in for the kill. But as they approached a shroud of fog in the distance, he realized the entire encounter had been a Japanese ruse to lead him into a trap. What? The oldest trick in the book, baby. Mm. Yeah. The old switcheroo. The Kansas City Shuffle. Yeah. God, Patrick Mahomes. Is that... No, I can't... I can't okay. Uh... <gasps> Chiefly, um, uh, so I <laughs> confronted by the entire Japanese fleet, including six battleships and six cruisers, Admiral Makarov ordered his ships to retreat back to Port Arthur and the protection it offered. During this retreat, the Russian flagship hit one of the many mines scattered throughout the bay and sank. Bingo! Taking Makarov down with it. He had been in too much of a rush to check for the mines on his way out, and he told everyone that he would check on his way back. Well, they found one. They Yeah, there's one. Accounted I, for. I, I, I read somewhere that fucking Makarov was decapitated by shrapnel in that one. No, that's the next guy. Was, oh, that's mm-hmm. the next guy. Yeah, there's there's that's Vitgeft. There's, oh. there, there's, it's a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, maybe if they weren't. These admirals Russian can't stop dying. Get home. You can't stop these guys from dying in unfortunate ways. So Admiral Vitgeft, actually, his parents died, and he had to go live with his crazy kooky uncle, uncle named Jim K. 
Carey. <laughs> what a crazy guy. Yeah, he's wild. Yeah, he he hates <gasps> vaccines. No, that's actually not true. Yeah. I what? thought that was true for no, like it's a, a little he, bit, and then he, he like took it back. He, yeah, he, no, the, the thing he had was about one... Spe- so it was stupid, but it was like yeah. one specific vaccine, and then a bunch of people were like, yeah, you must hate the COVID vaccine too. And well, he, was, he was just like, no. He was also dating Jenna Elfman, who is like a very outspoken... Well, anti-vaxxer. If you're dating an elf man, I don't understand. Is that Danny Elfman's sister? No. With Makarov gone, the new admiral on the block was Wilhelm Wittgeft, who had been the chief of the naval headquarters in the Far East since the outbreak of the war, and who also shared Admiral Stark's affinity for not leaving Port Arthur. They were just hanging around. If you have a good thing going, you don't want to just... Walk, walk out on it. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the old Irish goodbye. <laughs> Damn you, vile woman. The Russian goodbye <laughs> is a lot like the Irish goodbye, but instead of not saying goodbye to anybody when you leave, you just uh you explode on the way out. <laughs> what the deuce? <laughs> <laughs> what the deuce? The Russian goodbye is when you walk out the door and invade Ukraine. Yeah. It's also the Russian hello. A lot of people don't know that. It's more like, like aloha. More like our Ukraine. But they're invading a sovereign country. We're like our Ukraine now. <laughs> so we're faking it. Mm. It's ours. <laughs> Give. <laughs> oh, that's never gonna get old. Finally, after several months and several stern orders from the Tsar himself, Vitgeft ventured out into the bay, but turned around quickly and returned as soon as he saw Japanese ships in the distance. Understandably, it's, you know it's terrifying. I'm sure. Pretty scary. We don't know what what they're doing out there. We weren't there. Little sneaky little guys. They're catching octopus to make porn. <laughs> it's not. Back then, before they had animation, they had to do it was yeah, all yeah, natural. Was practical. The, the real yeah. thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and let me tell you, little suckers. They'll, they're like they're like on the ship, and the, the admiral's like, "All right, whose turn is it to get the octopus up his ass today?" Yeah, and and they'll they'll give you the hands free orgasm. There's there's one guy sure. that, that volunteers every time, and he's just like, "You know what? No, you did it yesterday <laughs> and the day. Someone you else, else you wanted you wanted a little too much." <laughs> Basically, Viceroy Alexiev, who had the ear of the Tsar, as we know he told him about the attack earlier, where you read well, like the Van diary. Gogh? I'm going to Van Gogh on with the outline, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so the Tsar, the, the, the Viceroy, this guy, Alexiev, he wanted Vitgev to break past the Japanese blockade, link up with the rest of the Pacific Russian fleet up in Vladivostok, which is, you know, 1,500 kilometers, or for our American listeners, 1,000 miles to the north, and then they could all go back down and take on the Japanese together. So a solid plan. I Let's think. go. It's like, what if instead of this many ships, you went up there, you met up with a couple friends, we came back, okay? They're gonna, the Japanese will surely just wait here yeah, in this bay for us. Mm-hmm. Foolproof. Foolproof. Sounds good to me. Unfortunately, Vitgeft was a fool. <laughs> so on August 10th, 1904, Vitgeft reluctantly led five battleships and five cruisers and a bunch of destroyers and torpedo boats out into the bay in an effort to break past the blockade in the Yellow Sea. That was two days after my birthday. A hole in the log in the frog in the bottom of the Yellow Sea. So the Russian ships actually managed to get past the Japanese blockade into the Yellow Sea, but Admiral Togo, the leader of the Japanese fleet, Chased them down and the battle began. Like, get back here. <laughs> Go on, I'm going to get you. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Go on, get. That's how the Japanese talk. A lot of people don't yeah. know that. Admiral Togo was well known for spitting into a spittoon that he had on his ship. 
Oh shit! Here we go again. <laughs> Admiral Togo, he was famous for saying, "I'm getting too old for this shit." Oh, shit. Right before he was killed, he goes, "Damn, I was two days from retirement." Togo doesn't get killed, actually. Oh well. A uh, Vic F ship was struck by a barrage of shells from the Japanese battleship Asahai, and he was killed. It's actually Asahi. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> No, but it'd be tough out there for an admiral. It's rough. That's the uh, it be. that's the guy that you said. What did you say? He was split in half or something with the shrapnel. Um, he he was fucking decapitated. Oh, I'll split him in half. You know, <laughs> if you're an admiral, you really shouldn't lose your head. <laughs> oh, yeah. You gotta yeah. stay calm yeah. under pressure yeah. mm-hmm. and fire mm-hmm. and shrapnel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the shelling also severely damaged the flagship's steering, which caused it to begin moving erratically, and because this was the lead ship the others were meant to follow, it threw the whole fleet into confusion, with most of them opting to simply retreat to Port Arthur. Sounds like a real Betty Hill moment. (laughs) (laughs) Except there's just blood everywhere. (laughs) 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 He's just decapitated, and they're screaming in the Betty Hill thing. He's just just running around in circles. Like a chicken. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Just yakety sax playing in the background. (laughs) Don't duck back. The battered flagship, escorted by several destroyers, then retreated to a nearby uh, German German, a nearby German port called Kachu. Kachow. Bless you. Kachow. But the Germans (gasps) just impounded the Russian ships and took them. So. Yeah, they had to pay like two thousand bucks to get them back. Like a fucking repo show. You scratched my car. Doug the bounty hunter took it. <laughs> These Russian vessels will now be used to serve the Lord. I don't know how he talks. Good Christ, brah. Good Christ, brah. <laughs> Vitgeft was supposedly by far the best admiral the Russians had, and he was now on a hole in the log in the bottom of the Korean Bay. What was he doing down there? <laughs> Feeding the crabs. No, he was... He was just hanging out. He was. Uh, he took a little acid. Decided to go to the bottom of the sea. Hmm. Sensory deprivation. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard actually to to feel anything when your head is separated from the rest <laughs> of your body. When so. you perceive it to be real, you either are real or you are in control of what's real. Hmm. He manifested his destiny. Yep. So the, Japan also lost a battleship to the minefields, and the, the minefields, I should say. There's two different minefields, one set by the Japanese and one set by the Russian, and neither of them ever seem to know where they left their own mines. Yeah. Which Just makes like sense Derek doesn't know where he left his own up. gun. All water looks the same. Oh, I know where it is. You know where my gun is? <laughs> you going to show me tonight? Derek, 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 headphones off? Headphones off? Okay. It's under the pillow. I can hear you. You know, I get the headphones, because you're still talking. It's under the pillow. Yeah, you're still talking when you do that, though. You can't hear me, though. Yeah, I can. It's under the pillow. I can hear you. No, that's not what it is. Yeah, it's fine. I can. Five and eight. It doesn't. Five and eight. Seven and eight. Okay. It's actually not under the pillow. I'll tell you where it is. I'm Dylan Klebold. Welcome to Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Eric Harris, and it's under my nightstand. Because this is my last stand. So Japan lost another battleship in the minefields. Um, No one knows where these mines are. And two of their cruisers also ran into each other again, which somehow seems to keep happening with the Japanese. Benny Benny Hill. (laughs) (laughs) When you said the B, I thought you were going to say bad driver. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going for that. Yeah, I was just just checking. That'd be little dick energy if you made that joke. I would never say. 
The Japanese admiral himself nearly suffered the same fate as his counterpart when a shell struck the flagship that he was on. Fortunately for Admiral Togo, however, the man next to him had, quote, the honor of receiving into his body the fragment that would have otherwise killed our admiral. Real hero. Mm. Kind of gay. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've actually gone out to the club and received several fragments in my body. So <laughs> sometimes they were intended for someone else. Yo, this is how we solve world peace. You know, you just go, yo, guys, going to war. It's kind of gay. Yeah. Just we tell the Russians invading Ukraine, yo. It's kind of gay, bro. Yeah. Honestly, you guys like, are really homophobic, right? Russians. Yeah. You guys that are invading. Kind of gay. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going into another guy's house and like forcing yourself on him. Predatory and gay? Wow. You want to shove all this lead up what? Up my ass? <laughs> you want to so, put stuff inside <laughs> of me? By the end of the uh, Battle of the Yellow P, the Yellow Sea. Girl the, P. Girl, the boy P. This, no, the, yeah, yeah. boy P. You get, you're missing up your own cannon. I'm here. sorry. Mm-hmm. The Japanese actually suffered worse losses than the Russians, and the Russians most likely could have turned the tide of the war there if they had come out and confronted the remaining weakened Japanese fleet, but they didn't. They ran away because one of their ships lost its steering. Yep. So, I mean, it was it was the flagship, wasn't it? Yeah, the one with all the flags on it. Yeah, and that's like, I hear that's important. Whose team are we on now? <laughs> Don't know. So the Japanese blockade of Port Arthur had the Russian fleet trapped there. So the Japanese army with boots on the ground in Korea looked to the north. Those boots were made for marching. I think they go on your feet. And that's yeah. what they'll do. Straight up the peninsula. It's important to keep in mind that Japan is very close to Manchuria and Moscow is very far away. When it came to resupply, Japan could achieve this much faster than Russia. When Russia did bring troops over, they had to bring them over on a single rail line, which took 10 days to reach Manchuria from Moscow. It's crazy because at this time, Russia accounted for roughly one-sixth of the world's landmass. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So actually a quick shout out to my favorite Seattle Mariners podcast. Roughly a podcast. So, Home run Jimmy Jacks. They sent me a a bag of coffee. Did they? Mm -hmm. Did you buy it? No. What kind of coffee? Uh, Some local coffee. Just uh, kidding. I don't care. You know what, though? Sick. (laughs) Nice. Got him. Hey Derek. I think like most of your personality is bullying. Hey Derek. And um Hey hey Derek. Never mind. I was I didn't even respond to you because I don't care. (laughs) It doesn't work if got him. Nope. (laughs) God, you look so stupid. Yeah. At the onset of the war, Russia had a hundred thousand troops in the Far East and Japan had three hundred and thirty thousand. The commanding Russian general wanted to delay and wait for reinforcements. So the Trans-Siberian Railway was actually capable of bringing in only about 35,000 troops per month. So knowing all of this, the Russian strategy was one of stalling. Stalin? <laughs> no, just stalling. So they weren't Russian, they were Stalin. Oh. Yeah, they weren't in a hurry. He said it. The commander of the Far East Russian Imperial Army, General Alexei Kiropatkin, predicted it would take six months at best to bolster his forces adequately for direct conflict with the Japanese. You're actually going to hear Kiropatkin quite a bit. So the Russian high command, in this case specifically Viceroy uh, Alexeyev, had ordered General Kiropatkin to not engage the Chinese but to allow them to push further northward through Korea all the way to the Yalu River. 
What is the Yalu River, Derek? Ian and Steven? That one's Gopi. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) As the Japanese advanced up the Korean Peninsula, there were multiple occasions where various Russian commanders ignored orders from General Kiropatkin to retreat and allow the Japanese advance. In the view of these commanders, to run away would be dishonorable, so they instead chose to make a stand. Come and take it. (laughs) (laughs) Come and take it? Come take it from me. (laughs) (laughs) While it may seem a principal gesture, it was the opposite of beneficial. Those that stayed behind were easily defeated by the Japanese. They got their asses kicked. Hell yeah. Hoorah. Oh yeah! Thus, instead of an organized tactical retreat, there were many breaks in the Russian line with soldiers running away in disarray. General disarray. Yeah, like a lot of them were just freaking out and stealing like rations of vodka. I well, like a seventeen-year-old pulled from his home, and you're like, "You're gonna go fight the Japanese over here," and he was like, mm, "What? I'm gonna do this instead." And then all of a sudden, the Japanese were behind him with fucking machine guns. He's like, "I want to know where Hasbulla was in all of this." <laughs> At the front line. Yeah, he's well, still they, he's still they, there now. They couldn't shoot him because he's, like, so he's, so he's tiny. His whole he's thing. like odd job in, in <laughs> Goldeneye. He's shorter, so you can't shoot him. <laughs> it's like he's like short round. Um, in Indiana Jones on the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. Back to our Temple of Doom. Almost entirely unhindered, the Japanese first army of over forty-five thousand men reached the well-defended Russian line at the Yalu River near the end of April in 1904. This marked the beginning of the first major clash on land during the Russo-Japanese War. The Battle of the Yalu River, featuring Hasbullah. Do you remember all that new military de- tech we discussed earlier? You know, the barbed wire. The Maxim gun. The machine, the Maxim, yeah, Maxim magazine dongs. gun. Maxim magazine gun. The massive artillery guns. Yeah. All that stuff. Barbed wire. Well, this is where tanks. they all came into play. Hand grenades. Mm-hmm. 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 They went kablooey. With devastating results, as well as a different sort of weapon, was also employed here, uh, that I like to refer to as human bullets. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What uh? What do you mean by human bullets? Um, I mean you know there's a guy in charge, and he says, "Hey, all of you over there, guys that don't want to be here, that we drug from their homes and their farms, yada yada yada," and they made them all charge the machine guns. Why don't you run at them mm-hmm. until they maybe run out of bullets? Maybe they could. You might they not could. get shot. <laughs> we don't know. Listen, it's not for sure that you're gonna die. They probably don't hurt. How do we know they're even using real bullets? Yeah, I don't trust them. Yeah. The Battle of the Yalu River became one of the first previews into the coming carnage of World War I as wave after wave of men crashed into walls of well-entrenched defenders armed with machine guns and modern rifles. Those in charge did not relent and continued to order soldiers forward to give their lives for small patches of earth. The result was massive casualties for minimal gains. Which is kind of like me at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) This is very sad. I'm 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 a scared of the gym. So to add to all this, the Russian military still applied outdated tactics, forming orderly lines and marching forward toward the enemy. While this stratagem, you know that one? No. Oh, it's just a tactic. It's a strategy. Sneaky, usually. Stratagem mm-hmm. is like a sneaky strategy. Um, this may have worked in the past and struck fear into the heart of their opponent. It now just led them to drop like flies as the entrenched Japanese unloaded thousands of bullets <laughs> into their ranks. The Japanese were just like, dude, they're literally just like, they, it's like they want us to kill them. Like a ruski <laughs> in a barrel. Yeah. 
In the lead-up to the actual battle, the Japanese disguised spies as Korean fishermen, and they were actually able to figure out details regarding the layout of the entire Russian trench system, how big the guns the Russians had were, and where they were. Buddy, uh, all I know is fishing, and I'm not that good at fishing. Fish on. as well as the precise locale of Russian deployments, roughly how many soldiers there were in total, and where the big mouth bass were at. Aside from the spies, the Japanese were able to acquire all this information because the Russians made little to no effort to conceal it. They still had no respect for the Japanese, and they assumed them to be easily defeated. I get no respect. I get no respect. In addition, the Japanese military had been there before, just 10 years earlier during the Sino-Japanese War. They knew this place, and they actually took up positions in almost the exact same spot that they yeah, had. Yeah, the, the exact same yeah. fucking river. I know this, Will. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he broke my house. <laughs> The Japanese did a good job of concealing their numbers, equipment, and movements. This contributed to the lack of preparation by the Russian army. Japanese engineers determined that 10 bridges were needed to move their forces across the Yalu, and they began to build one bridge out in the open. Just fucking right in front of their shit. Well, the Russians immediately targeted that one, but then off to the side behind the bushes, the Japanese made nine more. So they made one on purpose, and they were like, here's our bridge. The classic switcheroo. They, like, they, they fucking laid a bunch of twigs out. Like, oh. The Russians were like, oh, fuck. They painted a bridge onto the side of a cliff face. <laughs> and they ran into the fucking cliff. The leader of the first Japanese army, General Kiroki. Kirokai? I'm going to go with Kirokai. That sounds cooler. Okay. So the leader of the first Japanese army, General Kiroki, then fainted as if he was going to attack near the mouth of the river at the town of Atung. Inside of the country of a mouth. He actually just drew a Japanese army on a wall. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, we're over here. So now I think I mentioned he earlier. You got Bugs Bunny to dress up like splat. a woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys. <laughs> the Russians are like, ah, woo. Humming, 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 humming. I want that rabbit pussy. <laughs> That's what they were saying. The rabussy. Yeah. Mm. I think I mentioned earlier that one of the mistakes the Russians made was spreading their line too thin. Like when you put peanut butter on a piece of toast and you don't quite scoop enough and you kind of, you know, just not enough. Mm-hmm. And your toast is dry. Everybody, that's, you know what, that kind of comedy, that's relatable. Everybody knows that, that feeling, right? Yep. You've put not enough Miracle Whip on something. I've never used Miracle Whip in my (laughs) life. No, you have. You've put it on there. Miracle Whip is what I call it when I nut. That's disgusting. I call it Miracle Drip because mine no longer shoots out. It it sort of uh, kind of oozes out. It it sort of feels like it doesn't want to leave. A little dribble. Because of, yeah, for my hairline. Mm. Well, the Russians fell for the faint. And they believed that Japan would attack near Atung, which is, as Ian said, in the district of Amouth. And so the commander in that region, General Zasulich, concentrated his forces closer to the town, spreading his forces even thinner. In the middle of the night on April 27th, the Japanese began crossing the Yalu River under the cover of darkness. By 4 a.m., they had moved three whole divisions with their artillery across and within the range of the Russian lines. Now, I'm not a military-minded person as far as military history goes, so it's difficult for me to explain some of this, but I will post the Japanese and the Russian maps of the Yalu Yalu River crossing on our social media for y'all to look at. 
y'all. I got all of them. I got all the maps. I got fucking. I got so many maps. You don't even. There's a lot of maps in, I got in a, little, little wars. Little wars. Well, you got to know where you're yeah. going. You got to know where you where you need to be. Where they are. Where you where you want them to be. Mm-hmm. So, as the rising sun burned off the morning fog around 5 a.m., the Japanese began shelling the Russian lines. The infantry moved forward in a three-pronged attack formation, catching the Russian force in a pincer movement. Pincher. They, they were literally fucking surrounded. Yeah. Like, immediately. So, by 10 in the morning, many among the Russian forces were in full retreat, with the Japanese firing on them with 4.7-inch howitzers. Yeah. And the, the Russians were like, how it hurts! You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It, yet? <laughs> but, um, so, General Zasulich, however, refused <clears throat> to give up his position, even when ordered by General Kiropatkin, who you'll remember was the big cheese of the Russian land forces in Manchuria. The Velveeta, if you will. Hate that cheese. Well, that's not really legally cheese, but yeah, it's cheese product. It's yeah. cheesish. Yeah, cheesish. 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 Christ. Oh, that's that's funny. Oh, I right know. Oh, damn you, down. damn you, vile woman. <laughs> Let us sit down. <laughs> yeah. Let us sit down. General Zasulich was so convinced that he could pull off an upset that he even telegrammed the Tsar to tell him victory was just around the corner. <laughs> he was all like, "Oh yeah, sir, this battle is going so well. We've." Basically, already won here. Oh. Just got to tie up a few loose ends. Love you, TTYS, kisses. <laughs> You're my favorite czar. Have I ever told you that? <laughs> you know the best czar that I've ever served under? Zan Nicholas II. Who's the best czar? Come on. Who is the best czar? It's you. It's, it's you. me. It's me. Yes, it's, it's me. It's, it's me. You. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I say this. Da, all, I da, say this all the time. Da, yes, da, yes, da, 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 there's, da. there's no better czar than Tsar Nicholas. You flatter me, Zazulich. <laughs> General Zazulich was, in fact, wrong, and General Kuroki had seen it to <laughs> Pierogi. <laughs> General, he's Italian. General Kuroki had seen to it that the Russian artillery had been destroyed, and then he ordered two separate Japanese divisions to simultaneously attack the entrenched Russians from two sides. It's a pincer again. For a short time, there was hope, as the Russian lines held and they kept the advancing Japanese back. But without any artillery to support them, this would not last. The Japanese drove the Russians out from their trenches and into the hills to lick their wounds. Run to the hills! The Japanese had broken the Russian line. From the outlying hills, the Russian 12th East Siberian Rifle Regiment... Those guys are a mouthful. They mounted a counterattack and charged back down the hill in an attempt to drive the Japanese to the river. I think the popular Russian belief at the time that the Japanese were weak inbreds who didn't know how to fight really played a part here. Yeah. They just underestimated Like, okay, so (laughs) there's like 12 of us, and there's like... One, two, thirty-six of them. We look really big and strong, mm. and our faces are all bloated from all the alcohol we've been drinking. <laughs> I'm very red, and I can't feel my legs. So this counterattack was actually squarely met by an onslaught of Japanese artillery, guns, and rifle fire, and the 12th Siberian Regiment was mowed down, as if it was Hank Hill's lawn. <laughs> a little, little humor for you there. 
So it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where Denethor sends yeah. Faramir yeah. back to try and recapture Asgiliath. Yeah, that right, Stephen. Yeah, you love that. Oh, I love I yeah. love the Lord of the Rings. I, Do you when you think about Lord of the Rings, you just think about your dad hitting you? Uh, yes, and he's like, "Come on, come on, son, we gotta watch, we gotta watch the director's cut again, again for the third time this week, son." I don't want a clown for a son. <laughs> Never gets old. My favorite Lord of the Rings is the Twin Towers. Well, Stephen, you may be happy to know that Faramir's ill-fated attempt to retake a city that is heavily defended by orcish archers only happens in the movie, not in the book. However, the Russian 12th East Siberian Rifle Regiment's attempt to retake the north shore of the Yalu River happened in real life, and their effort, while seemingly courageous, only served to further erode the Russian line. With the Japanese forces behind most of the Russian entrenchments, it was possible for them to encircle the formations that remained spread thin along the river. Knowing this, General Zasulich finally relented and ordered a full retreat, leaving the 11th East Siberian Rifle Regiment to cover the fight. Yeah. Uh, the flight. Just, just, just you know, you know, like, th- th- throw your bodies at them, like, make, make, make them stop. <laughs> okay, you guys? Go stand over there. Okay, so you you five you go block the bullets with your bodies, <laughs> and then you five also go block the bullets with your bodies. You're familiar with can human our, shield. Can yes? we get our five biggest boys? <laughs> can I get a re rack here? <laughs> <laughs> I would like a squirrel with a backpack. A squirrel with backpack re rack. Uh, so the 11th was soon cut off, and the Japanese decimated them, obviously. so. Oh, did they? Yeah, they killed every single one of them. Oh, shit. Well, like, I think three of them ran away, the backpack of the Deserters. Mm. Pussies. Yeah, they I hope were. they got the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so the Battle of the Yalu River finally concluded at 5.30 in the afternoon on the 1st of May as the remaining Russian forces surrendered or fled to the north. As far as casualties, Japan had suffered just over 1,000 and Russia close to 3,000. Japan had become the first Asian nation to defeat a European power in battle since the Mongol hordes of the 12th century. Here's You know, you know what I always say? If you're Russian in the bathroom, European. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I always say? <laughs> Smart piss, <laughs> dumb bathroom. Like, you know what I always say? Yeah. This was a this <laughs> this was a this was a big deal, and it all but shattered the prevailing Russian belief that Japan would be an easily defeated opponent. They're just a bunch of dumb farmers. How could we not win? Up until this point, the Russian government and military had not taken the Japanese seriously, and they believed it would be a short, victorious war for Russia. I think I've said that three times now. After the Japanese victory at Yalu, a member of the Russian high command sent a telegram to, I think, General Kuropatkin that inquired, how are we losing to these, quote, yellow barbarian dwarves? Oof. Yikes. Lord of the Rings again. That's crazy. On a map of Manchuria, you can pretty much draw a straight line from Yalu River to Port Arthur. So considering that Port Arthur lies at the top of the Laodong Peninsula in Korea Bay and is already blockaded by the Japanese Navy. This means that the Russian forces at Port Arthur were now completely cut off from the rest of the Russian military. You guys following me here? Yeah. It's I, like this, and then like this, and then there's guys up here. I think that, I think that's, that's like not good. That's bad. I'm following yeah. you the same way that all the Russians followed their friends into the uh, storm of bullets. Blindly. Mm-hmm. If we do this, they give us crust of bread. <laughs> We get extra vodka if we what, take vodka. Yalu River. Yoli. Yuri. 
Privet, comrade. Nico, my cousin. <laughs> Is that Italian? No, it's, um, Grand Theft Auto 4. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're not Grand Russian. Theft Auto for what? They're, yeah, they're <laughs> Ukrainian. Aren't they? No, I think they're... Um, Georgian. Privet. No, I can't. Oh, fuck. I'm Armenian. No. No. There's something Slavic. Well, Romanians aren't Slavic, so that checks out. Yeah, well, fucking whatever, man. They're Yugoslavian. That's pretty Slavic. Yeah, it's in the name. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember, at the war's outbreak, Russia had up to 130,000 men and 200 guns in Manchuria. Big guns. Lots of little guns, right? Huge guns. Big, mm-hmm. The biggest guns. No one had bigger guns. And these had to be reinforced from Moscow over 5,000 miles away via a single railway, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Railway, and not the Cis-Siberian Orchestra. Rail- Fuck you. The t- <laughs> it gets funnier every time. <laughs> I couldn't even... These are the jokes, people. Yeah. I got to just twist it. My head's all twisted up. He's a sick puppy. I'm fucking take me out back and put me down, Stephen. <laughs> take two. Your shit's I'm all I'm fucked up. <laughs> talk like a I'm just, I'm just like a little dog that makes your little baby son a little too I'm hard. a little pit bull. <laughs> I'm a little pit bull, and I, I, I got out at the playground and hey, I, I made some for mistakes. I've been a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Have I shown you that? Yeah. The Japanese, on the other hand, could simply land their entire invading army of 283,000 men and 870 guns. Now, if you're keeping count, that's like 700 guns more than the Russians had. That's a lot of dudes. Yeah, so the guns, they're all in in Korea now, okay? So, and it's, Japan is less than 900 kilometers from Korea, so, you know, about 550 miles. Yeah, that was it. Just a fun little weekend trip. <laughs> you gotta listen to the ad. To, you gotta listen to a ten second. Yeah. Ad <laughs> oh my god. Three oh second video. Video. With Port Arthur now under forced isolation, the Japanese were making their way downtown, walking fast. By the first week of August 1904, 100,000 Japanese soldiers had entrenched themselves around the fort. In charge of the Russian forces, there was General Baron A. M. Stosel. Stosel. <laughs> So this guy, was he was pretty full of himself, and he was pretty bad at his job. And apparently the Russian high command had already fired him and replaced him, but he basically just said no. And he stayed You can't in fire me. I'm not quitting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, mm, pass. <laughs> like, no, we're, no, actually, we're, this guy's the button. He's like, mm, no. No deal. <laughs> no deal. So Stosel exported large quantities of the fort's food supplies, and the majority of the remaining storage crates contained thousands of bottles of vodka. No food, just booze. Through all of this, Stosel remained steadfast in the face of danger, declaring to his men that there would be no retreat. This statement does seem less than bold when you consider that they literally had nowhere to which they could retreat as they were stuck on a peninsula in a blockaded bay with the Japanese army entrenched around them. Stosel's force consisted of nearly 50,000 men and over 500 guns. The fort's primary outer defense was a heavily fortified set of hills and the original Chinese wall that had encompassed Port Arthur. Not the Great Wall, it's just like an okay one. Yeah. It's fine. It's a fine wall. The pretty, China. Good. <laughs> the pretty good wall of China. The eh, wall of China, the Larry David eh, wall of China. <laughs> and then the Japanese killed all the Russians, and then at the end it just went bomb, bomb, bomb. 
The Japanese leader, General Nogi, knew that he had to capture a number of those hills in order to take Port Arthur, but one in particular 203-meter hill would become the most important. I like that they named that hill after how big it was. It was just like, they were like, what should we name it? Well, I don't know. How tall is it? 203 meters? Got it. That's it. There's actually a bunch. So there's a lot of hills here, and several of them are named by how tall they are. But... There are Chinese and Korean names for them. These, for some reason, oh, these are the Russians. What, yeah, these are like, what the Russians like, call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, like well, that. what a bunch of creative people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what what a great place to put it. A very important military port. They must have worked really right, hard right, on that under name. a bunch of fucking hills. Well, they had they had defensive. Uh, actually, the hills were part of the defensive because they had they had entrenched. On the top of every hill, so it was actually a pretty goddamn like fortified area. Yeah, and then and then they just let a bunch of troops take it over. Yeah. Well, we're gonna see that it wasn't that simple. Well, the hills were really important because um, Hank worked for Strickland Propane, <laughs> and <laughs> propane is a really great fuel. Yeah. It burns clean. Taste the meat, not the heat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Incredibly creative, Ian. Thank it's you. Good stuff. Subscribe to the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com. LSLD. You know how I know it's creative. Yeah. Because I came up with it myself. Yep, I didn't write it. Nope. By the way, this siege of Port Arthur brings us right back to those human bullets we were talking about earlier as the Japanese sent waves and waves of men straight at heavily fortified machine gun nests and trenches. Human Bullets is my favorite Megadeth song. (laughs) Do you think that the machine... (laughs) Hello, me. It's me again. Do you think that there were machine gun eggs in the machine gun nests? (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a professional I mean by definition yeah technically by August 9th the Japanese had taken two hills and the news of this reached the Russian Tsar which is what prompted him to compel Admiral Vitgeft into his ill-fated attempt to break through the blockade and thus initiating the Battle of the Yellow Sea that we co- that we conquered earlier yeah full of boy pee right? so yeah, we, oh that's my the Jesus one. fucking Christ as a consequence of the Battle of the Yellow Pea General Nogi was determined to commence an all-out attack and capture Port Arthur before the arrival of the Russian 2nd Pacific Squadron that was en route. Is that how you say it? En route. En route. <laughs> Arrivederci. That was en route from the Baltic Sea. More on that later. That's Stephen's area of expertise. Yeah. This was the first time in history that anyone had attempted to storm a stronghold that was defended with machine guns, magazine rifles, and quick-firing artillery, and it had pretty devastating results for both sides. The Japanese commenced their attack at dawn on the 19th of August, and the battle raged well into the night. We actually have an account here of the battle from an English bystander, Frederick Villiers. And Ian, do you want to read that for us? Mm-hmm. Three of the nine searchlights that the Russians appear to possess are playing incessantly on the section of the battlefield, and star bombs or rockets are bursting continually, <laughs> the incandescent petals spreading the fan-like and falling slowly to the ground. So brilliant are the lights that the moon now nearing the horizon is but a faint slip of silver in the sky. The color of this night's warfare is what Whistler would have reveled in. The deep purple of the mountains against the nocturnal blue, the pale lemon of the moon, the whitish rays of the searchlights, the warm incandescent glow of the star bombs, the reddish spurt from the cannon's mouth, and the yellow flash from the exploding shell, all tempered to a mellowness by a thin haze of smoke. 
ever clinging to the hilltop and valley. Makes the scene the most viewed and unique I have ever looked on during all the many wars I have witnessed. Hey, Frederick. Uh, can I call you Fred? Yeah. Um, I just wondered. I thought you were English. So I'm from the England, but okay. actually, mm-hmm. my parents were, were from Germany. Yeah. Or Deutschland, as we call yeah. it. Oh, that's... It's pretty interesting, I guess. Okay. So, in two days of fierce fighting, the Japanese had managed to capture one hill, and heavy casualties forced General Nogi to call off the attack on August 24th. Since August 7th, the Japanese had lost over 16,000 men and had very little to show for it. The following day, August 25th, Russian forces led by General Kuropatkin began a nine-day clash with the Japanese at the city of Laoyang, almost 200 miles to the northeast. Though the Japanese lost 20,000 men to Russia's 18,000, they were victorious. Defeated, Kiropatkin was compelled to retreat to the city of Mukden to wait for reinforcements. Back at Port Arthur, the Japanese had had begun to dig tunnels underneath the walls of the Russian fort, and they started planting mines in there. So yeah, ge- we called it Minecraft. General Nogi's dwindled numbers had also been recently bolstered by 16,000 fresh troops from Japan and a handful of new artillery batteries. Why couldn't they just recharge the old ones? Well, like, are they like the disposable ones or the rechargeable ones? Okay. Uh, inside the Russian fort, our old friend General Stossel, Stossel was spending the majority of his time composing letters of complaint and sending them to Tsar Nicholas II. It was like... Being under siege sucks. Send more vodka. Can you come pick me up? This war is really bad. I'm freaking bored out I'm here. I'm freaking out. This this place sucks. <laughs> I want to go to Ukraine. Yeah. Port Arthur, more like Fart Arthur. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, Borscht. His behavior did little to boost morale among the emaciated Russian troops. Outside the walls, General Nogi finally realized the importance of capturing 203-meter hill. This particular hill offered... I know, the name of the hill is 203-meter hill. <laughs> yes. Yep. The, the uh, it was how creative. Yep. So, this particular hill, 203-meter uh, hill, offered clear and offered a clear and unobstructed view of the harbor, and from its peak, the Japanese could rain down artillery on the Russian fleet below. The Japanese continued pushing forward slowly and with heavy casualties until mid-September, when their focus could be concentrated on 203-meter hill. After two failures and thousands of casualties, the Japanese launched one final all-out assault on the now blood-soaked mound of dirt on November the 26th, the same day the Russian Baltic fleet scooted into the Indian Ocean. Again, Stephen will have more on that later. With machine guns and grenades, the well-entrenched Russians tore the Japanese soldiers apart, but they just kept coming. Concurrently, General Nogi shelled the living shit out of the Russian positions all day and all night. Christmas came early that year. Truly. Mm-hmm. And all they got was shit. The old man got me a carton of cigarettes and he took me around, the, took me under his arm and said, hey, smoke up, Johnny. <laughs> Is that Breakfast Club? Yep. Nice. Nine days later, the Japanese reached the top of the hill. Nine fucking days. They sent waves of men up a fucking hill that just kept Jesus dying. Hey, Nine right. days. If at first you don't succeed, <laughs> just keep climbing sending your guys to up die. To a, yeah. <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, keep climbing to a three-meter hill. 
<laughs> and they they on the ninth day they raised the flag of the rising sun amongst a mountain of bodies. Now you see what I did there. They they were trying to conquer a hill. I think if, I could just like imagine a meat grinder, just a big old meat man grinder. sausage. I don't know if that's appropriate. <laughs> so. <laughs> Within his 1906 publication, Port Arthur, The Siege and Capitulation, eyewitness Ellis Ashmead Bartlett described the scene as such. Ahem. There were practically no bodies intact. The hillside was carpeted with odd limbs, skulls, pieces of flesh, and the shapeless trunks of what had once been human beings. Intermingled with pieces of shells, broken rifles, twisted bayonets, grenades, and messes of rock loosed from the surface by the explosions. I think you could say shit was pretty fucked up, yo. <laughs> yeah, the chart says your shit's all fucked up. And you talk <laughs> like a Brit. <laughs> Bayonets. So, 11,000 Japanese soldiers gave their lives for that hill. War! Huh! What is it good for? <laughs> not those guys. Battle of 203 meter hill. That's what it's that's good for. It's to not, take Manchuria. Well, it was good mm-hmm. for his rich people. Usually. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Oil companies, yeah. Uh, metal foundries, mm-hmm. arms dealers. That's pretty Shady much. black ops organizations, Raytheon, yeah. the Rand Company. Do your own research. Yeah. Ray- Raycon missiles. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, if you lit- want to find out more, go to www.infowars.com. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Lyndon B. Johnson's wife was a bitch. So she actually owned the major stake in a company that they bought militia, militant arms from. So uh, actually, uh, Napalm. Yeah, oh, specifically. Somebody's knocking on the door. Is that is that the FBI? <laughs> oh, this is this is the second time that Stephen's going to be interviewed by the FBI in, in the last <laughs> that's, five years. That's uh, some you guys hear that story from, from? Hello? Oh, Jim, come on in. Officer Jim. Hey, Steven. How's it going? Agent Jim. Long time no see, Steven, pal. Steven, you gotta stop exposing the military's <laughs> crazy dark secrets. You're stop dri- telling people to take a gun to school tomorrow. <laughs> you're, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> what That's the, how it what goes. What the deuce? What the deuce, <laughs> Jed? You make, you make one joke about bombing the U.S. government <laughs> in, a, in a little stream where you're wearing a mask, drinking a lot of beers, and they send the FBI after you. know you. why? It's because you were drinking the beers. That's really why they came after you. Yeah. They hate that. They don't want you to drink and drive. FBI America's guys pastime. hate beers. Miller yeah. High Life. Female body inspector. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. So from the top of 203 meter hill, the Japanese artillery rained fire and metal down upon the Russian fleet in the harbor, methodically destroying ship after ship. With the Russian fleet at Port Arthur all but destroyed, many of the Japanese ships making up the blockade were now able to return to Japan and be repaired and rejuvenated to face the coming Russian Baltic fleet. Again, more on that later. On the first day of 1905, Stephen's going to tell you everything about the Russian Baltic fleet from memory. No, from memory, right. he has it all memorized. He has it all memorized. It's in his head. It's in his little head. There, he's got a little. I watched a funny. He actually, movie some people it. see pictures in their head. Stephen sees an outline. Mm-hmm. An outline of what? Bam, 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 Of a saxophone. Benny, it, it, it will be another Benny Hill moment. <laughs> On the first day of 1905, General Stossel surrendered Port Arthur to General Nogi, ending the siege that had lasted five months and one day. 
Port Arthur was now in Japanese hands. General Nogi left a con- okay. General Nogi left a contingent of men to guard Port Arthur, and with the rest, headed north to meet up with the rest of the Japanese army and face General Kiropatkin for one final significant land battle. Whoa! Blocka, blocka, blocka! ping, pop, pop! A lot of people are gonna die. So, ping, pop, pop! When General Nogi got there, the combined Japanese army equaled nearly 300,000 men, but was still outnumbered by Kira Patkin's 310,000. That's 10,000 more for those keeping track. That's very, very true, Ian. That's, that's good. A lot, that's a lot of that's dudes. That's a good job. That's a lot of dudes. Guys rule. That's a whole lot of dudes. <laughs> kind of gay. But Kira Patkin... First of all, way too many dudes. Where's the boobies? Uh, Pineapple Express. Yep. I'm all over you today. I'm inside of you, your head. But Kiripakin badly overestimated the number of Japanese soldiers, and he assumed that he was outnumbered. So he thus impatiently expected reinforcements from Mukden. I'm sorry, he expected reinforcements at Mukden via the Trans-Siberian Railway. However, growing unrest back home, see, I didn't do it. You thought I was going to do it what? every time I say Trans-Siberian Railway, but I didn't do it. I've learned. Okay, no, 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 no. Can you cut his mic? Can you just pull? There's a lot of blinking lights. Just kind of hit it. <laughs> However, <laughs> growing unrest back home in Russia presented complications. Complications, if you will. Okay, no. Turns out all those rich guys who thought war would quell unrest and get everyone on the same page didn't realize that food and essential supply shortages kind of bum out the average citizen. On January 22nd, a large group of protesters approached the Tsar's palace with a petition, presumably to end the war. But the soldiers stationed at the palace opened fire on them, possibly going off of the Tsar's orders, and they killed a thousand unarmed civilians in what is now commonly referred to as Bloody Sunday. They were just like, oh my god, no way. They're just lining up for us to kill them. <laughs> we, we have to take opportunity here, right? You want to shoot them? You too? <laughs> Nikolai, no way. Get it? High five, bro. You too, Bloody Sunday. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. You seen the song? They do the stu- Sunday, Bloody Sunday. What's that's that, actually about Ireland. Was that like yeah. one of those free songs that everybody got on there? No, oh. that's, that's an old one. You had to pay for that one. <laughs> yeah. You had to pay for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I was really into the idea for the tour they were going to do for that album where they just break into your house and force you to watch them play that <laughs> album. <laughs> See, on the Bloody Sunday uh, tour, though, they actually just planted a bunch of car bombs. Yeah. Irish cargo bombs. <laughs> yep, because they're that's from. Yeah. That's the joke. They're from, they're Ireland. from Ireland. So yeah. obviously Thank the rest you. of Russia. Yeah, they're from. I was trying to so the tinted glasses. He, they only get those in Ireland. Yep. yep. What's his name? Tito. <laughs> Bono. Tito. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm not familiar with him. Bono. You too. So. Shut <laughs> <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> oh my god! No way. You too. You want to kill those guys as well? I want to shoot every one of these poor people that come to palace. Oh, my God. You too? You too? You too? <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. Sunday, both is Sunday. Am I right? More like our two. <laughs> <laughs> when they take Ukraine, they're just going to call it you too. My wife used to be a tard. Now she's a pilot. <laughs> it says here your shit's all fucked up. <laughs> Why come you don't have a tattoo? (laughs) Obviously, the rest of Russia's citizens weren't super pumped on this, and protests quickly spread across the country. 
At this point, the Tsar no longer wished to send any reinforcements to Manchuria and instead elected to keep all of them in Russia to protect him, his wife, Rasputin, and their kid that bled every time he nicked his knee. Kiripatkin was on his own. The Battle of Mukden began on February 20th, 1905, and what followed was the largest land battle in world history to that point. The Japanese initiated several coordinated attacks at once on fortified Russian positions that most likely would have held if not for several fatal blunders by Kiropatkin. In the midst of the fighting, the Russian general ordered divisions of soldiers who were already actively fighting the Japanese to stop and move to different positions. This caused chaos. Yeah, it's not a smart fucking decision. It's in fact, it's like one of the worst things you can do as like a, a unit of soldiers is actively like fighting for their lives against, you know, attackers. And then you're like, hey, no, no, all of you guys go to the other side. And they're just like, move to the left. <laughs> Crisscross. <laughs> so this caused chaos and the Japanese took advantage and all but surrounded several Russian positions. With little hope of escaping this sticky situation, General Kiropatkin ordered all of his men to retreat north. By the morning of March 10th, the Japanese held the city of Mukden, the last Russian-controlled city in Manchuria. Yeah, they're trying really hard not to Mukden that up. Oh. Hey, let's... Okay. Russia had lost every single land battle to date and was now driven completely out of Manchuria. I like to call it women cheer. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. More like her. Like, uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah. co- commu- commu- <laughs> more like nature. Archery. Our tree. More like they them tree. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah, more like her tree. So, in a battle that had only lasted around ten days, Japan used over twenty million rifle and machine gun rounds and a quarter million artillery shells. They had also lost 90,000 men. That's a lot of dudes. That's a lot of dudes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. First of all, a lot of dudes. <laughs> Where's the boobies? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking dog and pony show called the Mukden Battle. So Russia lost around 70,000. That's 20,000 less for those keeping track. Yep, yeah. so that's 160,000 total. I think, like, in all, Japan lost a, a, a lower percentage. Yeah, but they invented PlayStation, so who's the real They winners? frequently lost more than Russia did in, in certain land battles, but they had uh, they faster had reinforcements. Yeah. They had more dudes. They had more dudes. But they could get them there quicker, obviously. Yeah. Due to this huge expenditure of ammunition and human life, the Japanese army was unable to continue pursuing the retreating Russian soldiers. This crushing loss again blew the minds of the Russian high command, as well as Western powers worldwide, as they expected to be inherently superior to the Japanese and crush them easily, even up to this point. They won that round. We'll get them next time. Definitely. (laughs) Bum, 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 bum. He's like, I dropped the soap. (laughs) (laughs) The Russians were trying to figure out. They just kept going, Rush B, Rush B. Remember. Some Russian. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, some Russian casualties. All Russian hopes now rested with the 2nd Pacific Squadron in the Baltic Sea that we've been alluding to, that Stephen's going to cover the whole thing. No, no. Japan knew this, and both sides began to prepare for a massive naval engagement. More like a fuzzy naval engagement, (laughs) am I right? It's the belly button of battle that I've always... Yeah. Some some, some people are are feet guys. (laughs) Me? 
You're a belly button guy? I'm a, I'm a belly button. <laughs> Steven's like, oh, God, babe, I wish they left your umbilical cord. I'll snip that bad boy we'll myself. A, I want to suck it down like a piece I'll of suck a slurp on that like it's a, it's a teriyaki <laughs> stick. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a snack guy. You can't stop me from snacking. Did you ever buy Mary more jerky? Nope. <laughs> That's going to bring us to the Voyage of the Damned. Oh, damn, actually, what Steven? Yeah, what Steven's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? What Steven told me earlier is the, the voyage of the damned good looking. They weren't. They were. They were a bunch of fucking idiots. There's probably one hot guy. Yeah, probably. There's always one. Yeah. I hear some of those Russians have large penises. Okay. Big like old honking wieners. Okay. Rasputin's wasn't small. Yeah. 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 He, he, it was 13 inch. It's in a museum, mm-hmm. supposedly. Yeah, the Museum of Cocks. Cock Museum. We have the dicks. <laughs> Arby's. We have the There's just a bunch of penises, pe- and then there's just there's just Richard Nixon's head in a I, jar. I, I, pretty, yeah, it looks like a pickle. Yeah, pickle dick. dick. (laughs) 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 Welcome to Russian Arby's. We have the cocks. You actually have to have a really high IQ to understand Rasputin's dick. So he was a ballet dancer. You don't understand. Yeah, Voyage of the Damned. He wasn't. Did not. That's you're thinking of Tchaikovsky's uh, the the Nutcracker, and that has nothing to do with Rasputin. He's not in that. Are you sure he wasn't a ballet dancer? No, I'm positive he wasn't. Are you? Yeah, I'm positive. Are you? Yeah, I wrote a paper about Rasputin. Also, I listened to like three typo negative songs, so I think I know what I'm talking about here. The Voyage of the Damned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> after watching their armies suffer defeat after defeat on land and sea, the Russian high command knew that the war wasn't going so well. As Japan tightened the noose around Port Arthur and Ian tightens the noose around his neck while he masturbates, Russia tossed together a ragtag fleet in the Baltic Sea. It's the cool way to jerk off. Basically with spare parts. They were just like... Maybe four good ships. Yeah. They had a fleet in the Black Sea as well, um, but sort of like in Age of Empires when you build a navy on a lake, that one wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, To lead this ragtag group of misfit ships on their 18,000-mile journey around the world to Port Arthur, the Russian High Command chose Rear Admiral Zinovi Rozdesvensky. Sounds like he's about to take it up the rear. <laughs> the rear admiral's in command of the ass. <laughs> That's what I always say. Yeah, yeah he controls the uh, the uh, derriere. <laughs> Rostesvensky was actually famous for having a very short temper and even punching his subordinates in the face when they made him mad. The running joke was that you could tell who was under his command because they would be missing their two front teeth. Or maybe they had a very short Christmas list. Hey, you guys know what I'm talking about. Apparently, when he was angered, he would throw his binoculars into the sea, so ships he commanded actually had to carry an extra crate of binoculars. So let's get into that fleet he was meant to command. Seven battleships, a number of cruisers, and a host of destroyers and torpedo boats, and actually, what would you call those, Stephen? Um, I, th- I think... Damn good looking boats. <laughs> Damn good looking boats. I think they had uh, some f- fucking aristocratic yachts that yep. they just put fucking guns on. Mm-hmm. Pleasure vessels, if you will. They yeah. just took up they they took a bunch of fishing boats and yachts and put cannons on them, and, and then they, um, they like nailed they, them down. <laughs> conk, 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 conk. They they put go to go. They they put like a, a single like plate of 
metal. <laughs> they put on they put one shield from the Middle Ages like on the front with like, a crest <laughs> on it. it. They yeah. took all their mom's fine plates and were just like, if "We're this, good to go." It's armor. If this stop Mongol invasion, it stop Japanese from keeping vessels. <laughs> yeah. The four best battleships, the only good battleships, were Borodino battleships that could go up to 18 knots due to new engines, and they were covered in big old guns. Yeah, and by the time they lost, their stomach were, were, was in 18 knots. <coughs> Come and take them. <laughs> Unfortunately, these ships were built for the calm waters of the Baltic, not the ocean. No, I don't think any of them were ready to go through the equator, let alone twice. Not a single one of them was made to go into the ocean, no. The Borodino ships were so heavy that their guns were too low on the water to be even effective at all, and their armor belt would sit below the waterline. Well, they they had to make basically a trip across the world with no, like basically no resupply points. No, because they had no allies yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah hopefully was, they get a kill like... streak and get a care package. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that with the armor belt sitting below the waterline, they are well protected from sharks and perhaps a <laughs> dolphin who wanted to get too familiar. Yeah. Well, well speaking of sharks, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that comes in later. Oh, the sharks come in later. Yeah. With consent, I hope. Mm-hmm. Unlike, uh, <laughs> looks like all gas didn't pump the brakes. Our right. good Piotr, our good friend Piotr the dolphin. Piotr the dolphin. Pietrov. <laughs> he give in job. <laughs> Finn. Uh, some of the other cruisers in the fleet were actually built only for shore defense. So when I say ragtag, I kind of mean it. Mm-hmm. Also, all of these sailors were poorly trained, and before they left the Baltic, Rostasvensky sort of had them do like a training exercise to see how accurately they could shoot. None of them hit anything. Um, in fact, what they did is hey, they had the bigger boats tow behind them smaller boats with targets on them, and the only ship that hit anything actually hit one of the boats that was towing the target. So, not I, super accurate. I think he was quoted as saying that half half of the, the fleet didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And then the other half had to be retaught because they forgot what they were doing. <laughs> My wife's a tar, and now she operates a boat. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Rostesvensky. 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 Rostesvensky's ghoul. Liam Neeson. Don't, if you say a different thing, then I have to go back and look at it. Because every time you say something, it like... Rostesvensky. Rostesvensky? Rostesvensky? I hardly know her. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Wayne Rostesgretzky. Damn you, vile woman. Wayne Rostesgretzky. Another thing is that these ships all ran on coal, and each ship would have to refill about 60 times between the Baltic and the Pacific. Now, since they had no allies between the Baltic and the Pacific, they had Mm -hmm. to hire German boats from the Hamburg-America line to follow them and provide coal. Why did you just finger guns me? Hamburg-America. That's a a joke (laughs) waiting to be written. And when they did did load up on coal, they kind of doubled up on it, and they were too heavy. They were putting coal where they should not have put coal. Into good kids' stockings. <laughs> <laughs> and and eventually, I think um, that coal just like, the dust covered oh, yeah. the insides of all these boats. Definitely. Yeah. And, and what's cool is when when coal. W- well, when you, when you have a, a lot of dust and then you go into human environments, it's kind of hard to breathe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that. So they were yeah. covered in coal dust. Do you think the guys below deck could say it? 
<laughs> they had the Drake pass, yeah. So uh, this special team of guys left the six with their woes. <laughs> this special team of guys left the Baltic Sea on October 4th for their real big journey. Ernest goes to Port Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vern, we're taking the Baltic <laughs> Hey, Vern. <laughs> Hey, Vern, we're taking back the South China Sea. (laughs) By the middle of October, they had only reached the North Sea off of the coast of the Netherlands. On the foggy night of October 21st, one of the Russian vessels radioed Rear Admiral Rozdesvensky and reported that they were being attacked by Japanese torpedo boats. The Russian ships opened fire valiantly, and one of the ships even reported that they were being boarded by the Japanese, like little Pirates. Yeah, they were bo- being boarded by the rear admiral. <laughs> they were yep. being their rear was being boarded by little Japanese pirates. But when the fog cleared, there were no Japanese vessels within thirty thousand miles, or any pirates actually. So, but there were British fishing boats. Oh <laughs> so, no! Shit. Civilian casualties. Yeah. So actually, they barely did any damage to the British ships, though they did kill a couple of fishermen. But it's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> their, their bad aim actually helped them out. Oh yeah, they sucked at aiming, and it it pissed off the British. But they did hit their own ships. Yeah. So two of them, I think, suffered damage. Well, it's okay. Sar Nicholas knows King George pretty well. You could say that they're monarchs with benefits. They have the divine right to suck each other off. <laughs> the damn good looking. So even confronted <laughs> with reality, Admiral Rostasvensky continued to insist that he was in fact attacked by the Japanese, even when it was proven that that was not true. So stories continued to grow, and some of the Russian sailors claimed that they were fighting off at least 20 Japanese ships. You should see the other guy. <laughs> Turns out he was actually British. <laughs> so crazy. Japanese, they're, they're getting so good at fighting and, and like military tech now. They can look British. Like, you remember earlier when they were Korean fishermen? Now they're British fishermen. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Fuck. Yeah, dude. Obviously, the British ambassador in Moscow demanded an apology and that the commanding officers in charge be punished. But Tsar Nicholas II basically said, Yeah. It's kind of a bummer, bro. I don't really know what to do. <laughs> oh, well, back to the orgy. Eyes wide open, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like uh, Tom Cruise's uh, eyes wide shut. Uh, yeah. The vehicle with the... Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, Kubrick's last movie. Yeah, Kubrick's last stand. They let us sit down. So this entire event is called the Dogger Bank Incident. Yeah. And I, I think uh, the British kind of joked, like one of the one of the British like admirals was like, "Oh, we'll just if we do attack him, we'll just send like four ships to there, like forty one <laughs> ships. We'll be chivalrous. They obviously can't hit anything." <laughs> well, with the British Navy being as supreme as it was at the time, they, they were the jokes aside, supreme it, like the company, like the best Navy like beef supreme in America at that point. Yeah, the I mean, best Navy in America. Yeah, the, the they, British they, Navy. They were, I've always said the British Navy is the best <laughs> Navy in America. <laughs> the U.S. in the world, which is America, <laughs> <laughs> and then the uns unnazified the world. <laughs> it is interesting that the. British were the only Japanese ally at the time, and Russia just so happened to attack them. So it's kind of fun. Um, But the voyage of the damned trekked on. In December of 1904, the second Pacific Squadron made it to Madagascar, but was forced to stop for repairs. 
I think on the way they 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 had a little a little a couple of little stops maybe on a little little pets that they just yeah let free they roam. got they got some lemurs that like to sing and dance. They actually did. Are they, you doing Zabumafu? <laughs> no, Madagascar. They oh, I love it. They they they. they I like to move and move. Circus Afro, Circus Afro, Pokemon, Pokemon, Circus Afro. Uh, they, they did pick up a slew of like like equatorial pets, uh, mm. some birds, some crocodiles, uh, some some fucking poisonous snakes that they just let you know hang out. What they need to fill their zoos? They had a zoo on the boat. Pretty much. That kind of fucking rules, buddy. Yeah. The entire situation was a zoo. <laughs> the zoo, good looking. Hey. So, uh, <laughs> so they actually they had to go around. You know the bottom of Africa to Madagascar because they were not allowed to use the Suez Canal. Number one, because Japan was allied with Britain and Britain didn't really like Russia. But also, you know, killing a bunch of their fishermen and and, and denying it really didn't help, right? So they went all the way around, and it was about this time when they got to you know you know about mid Africa that they realized their ships were built for the cold ass Baltic Sea. You know, it's mm-hmm. like frozen most of the year. So when they got to warmer regions, shit got real hot, buddy. Things yeah. were heating up. Yeah, yeah. See, it's hot down. Nothing there. hotter than uh, four or five shirtless boys in a, in a boiler room drinking vodka. Mm-hmm. You taking your shirt off? You popping He's the tart? Oh. Hey. Did did it? Boy, howdy! Don't do that. Please stop doing that. <laughs> What are you doing? Why are you doing He's that? He's cracking his bag, boys. Did it feel good? Yeah. You're a hairy boy. Not really. No, I'm, I'm a lot hairier than him. I'm yeah. the least hairy. Check out what I can do with my neck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody can do that if they want to. No one. Uh, stop! Everybody, everybody else just decides not to do that. You look like a pit bull. <laughs> look like you're about to bite my little pride of joy, but baby boy. I'm a little baby boy. I'm about to rip my kid to pieces, man. <laughs> Stop. I so can't look shit at got real hot, and Ian's going to put his shirt back on at some point. But the coal rooms in these boats, they got up to about 140 degrees, and the mm. guys in there would just collapse and, you know, sometimes die from heat exhaustion, oh, yeah. dehydration. You know. They were drinking only vodka, so. <laughs> there is, <gasps> vodka is a lot of water. I don't know if people know that. Yeah. It's like well, at least 6%. after you drink it, so you're probably pretty hydrated. I, I agree. While they were in Madagascar, they got news that Port Arthur had fallen. Their original mission had been to go and supplement the Navy at Port Arthur and help defend it against the Japanese, but it was now in Japanese hands. Russian High Command knew that this fleet was Russia's last chance. So they started building the 3rd Pacific Squadron uh, back in the Baltic, and they told Admiral Rostesvensky to wait in Madagascar for the 3rd Fleet to catch up. Now, if you thought that the 2nd Fleet was like a fucked up ragtag group, the 3rd one's worse. I think think he was kind of... Trying to avoid catch like the third oh he was fleet. pissed he yeah was not he, he, pumped he's about like it. Yeah. he's like he's like maybe he knew we what just they were go. doing he knew maybe what they we were doing go. yeah <laughs> he was aware that they were sending him goodwill ships like he was fully aware that it was going to be self sinkers yeah he how was, do you like them apples he was not pumped and damn good looking because these ships were being assembled they were pieces of shit and everyone knew that they wouldn't be able to complete with uh, sorry compete with the Japanese navy like I said the Japanese. Ships were made by Britain, the superior navy in the world. But Russian High Command also knew that these ships would just draw Japanese fire away from the four better ships. But they had four good ships total, right? Mm-hmm. A four good ships. Like a few good men? Yeah. Yeah. 
You can't hail the truth. <laughs> that's <laughs> that. That's not that movie, is it? Yeah, it is. Huh. <laughs> the third Pacific Squadron met up with Rostasvinsky and the second Pacific Squadron in Vietnam on May 9th. They then headed to the Pacific together. At this point, they knew Port Arthur had fallen and their new orders were to push through the Japanese-controlled China Sea and regroup with the remaining Russian fleet at Vladivostok. Rostasvinsky's plan was to take the shortest route possible and just kind of go as fast as he could past the Japanese before they could even notice. You know, bada bing, bada boom. Full steam ahead. I think he was just like fucking sick of it. But he's like, I want to go home. I want to fuck my wife. He didn't want to fight. He was like, let's just get to Vladivostok and we'll see what happens after that. Did we just lose this war already? Unfortunately for Rostasvinsky, Admiral Togo was not a moron. He was actually probably one of the smartest guys in this story, and he assumed that the Russian fleet would take the shortest route through the Straits of Tsushima, Tsushima, sorry, between southern Korea and Japan. He was actually very prepared for them to do this. Yeah, I I think um I don't think the Russians were a little not that sneaky about their their little. They did try to go in the middle of the night. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. But the Japanese, so Togo had them. <coughs> He, he built, like, watchtowers along the entire shoreline on either side. So they would have to go, like, they, they couldn't even go, like, straight through the middle and not be noticed. Like, it wasn't going to be obvious. So this brings us to the final conflict of the Russo-Japanese War, the Battle of Tsushima. Yep. Sushi more. That's what I say when I'm at the restaurant and I am still hungry. Sushi more! Bring it! I want more! I'm hungry! Shut up! So the, the Japanese Navy spotted the lights of the Russian fleet through the fog on the night of May 26, 1905, the Russian plan of slipping by unnoticed didn't work. What? What? The superior Japanese made short work of the DIY Russian fleet in no time at all, and two-thirds of the Russian vessels were resting on the seafloor pretty quickly. The 18,000-mile, seven-month voyage of the damned had met its decisive end in less than two days, only a few hundred miles from its destination. It just shows you it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah. The real Japanese-Russo war was the friendships we made along the way. Damn damn good-looking. Oh, man. It doesn't really sound like Russia won more than... Zero battles on land or sea. No, they didn't. Uh, but they definitely, their commanders frequently told the Tsar that they did. They, they wrote those, like we talked about one of the telegrams earlier. They'd always be like, oh, no, we're doing like it's so They were fudging one. Numbers. It's about to be one. We've all, we've all fudged the numbers. Okay, basically, we've did it. It's over. I mean. It, we, 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 sunk, we sunk all the shit. Oh. They sunk all. So, okay. Oh, they're, they're, they're fish. Boys. No, here it is. So, sometimes <laughs> it actually makes sense to lose wars, right? They actually, they won the... Because then we'll appear weaker than we are, so when they come for mm-hmm. us, we'll kill more of them. The element of surprise. Yeah. They did win the battle against the British fishing boats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Tsar was pretty much over the war. He needed it to end so he could focus on, let's call it, civil unrest at home, as the first Russian Revolution of 1905 was brewing. And the vodka was distilling. Hmm. Well... <laughs> Uh, well, there's still more to come. So, the Japanese also desired an end to the war as they had exhausted a significant amount of resources and available military might. And that is, of course, where the good old US of A comes in, baby. <laughs> America. <laughs> now, America's watching all these things happen, and they're going, this isn't about us. Let's get into it. We need a piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, President Theodore Roosevelt, the teddy bear man, 
he offered to mediate a peace treaty. Um, at first, everybody said, go fuck yourself. But then, the second time he offered, they said, you know what? Okay, we're fine with that's that. That's okay. That's cool. We appreciate it. So the Really? For free? <laughs> the peace negotiations. What's in it for us? The peace negotiations for the Russo-Japanese War happened in Portsmouth. Portsmouth. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. There was some back and forth. They had to split an island, cut that island right in half. And uh, by 1905, October, that same year, they had a treaty. So a lot of things came out of this, right? Number one, Japan's victory highlighted Russia's weakness to the rest of Europe, which really contributed to Germany's aggression coming into World War I. Right. right. Number two, it gave Japan confidence that it could take on any Western power, including America. This was they the first wrong. time they were wrong. Yeah, they were. We, we learned later that they were wrong. Uh, well, they were spread out pretty far, but yeah. Um, we, it also helped that we literally hit them with like back to back sons. They were they were we, beat we, before that. We used that thing that nobody else did. They were they were they were, they were def- that's a whole other yeah. thing. I could do a whole episode on it. Yeah, they were willing to surrender before America dropped the bombs. There was actually they literally sent a telegram to the White House, like, hey, and the, the president was like, you know what. Let's no. see what happens. Let's just see what the bomb. I don't know what it we, does. We made these. We made these. We, we made them. Well use We're them. gonna fuck around and find out. You don't want me to use it? Come and take it. So, after the treaty, the Japanese people were not happy because they felt that they were cheated out of their just rewards, and many of the citizens blamed America and President Roosevelt. Right. So, and President Roosevelt, by the way, was the first weeaboo. Um, he learned yeah. judo, and he was obsessed with buying Japanese books or manga. And he bought that uh, tentacle porn you were talking about earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was on th- like a film camera, and he had to yep. watch it on it. It was a big thing. So your hands free coming. So the Japanese victory. <laughs> Damn good looking. <laughs> uh, the Japanese victory in the Russo-Japanese War was the first defeat of a European power by an Asian nation in the modern. Era. Yeah. Era, 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 era. Damn good looking. What a great story. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, there's also, you know, what we should point out, there were other people that lived everywhere that these fights were happening. What? Right, so t- 20,000 Chinese civilians may or may not have died or gone missing. Ah, uh, you know, and so those, they were actually, they all lived in Wuhan, and uh, they went to a wet market. And they actually they bought. All right, it. So, uh, <laughs> so be sure to subscribe to us on uh, on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Give us your money; we really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Yeah. Follow I us on Twitter. Like money. Twenty thousand Chinese civilians. I follow, love money. Follow Derek at I Bash My Bros. Uh, mm-hmm. Follow me at LSLD Ian. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, follow the podcast at LSLD Pod. Follow Stephen at Skilla McDilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow us on Instagram at LSLD Pod. Uh, follow us uh, uh, on TikTok uh, at LSLD Pod. That's what you sound like. Yeah. Uh yeah, uh mammothheadwear.com Oh yeah, promo code LSLD. Promo code LSLD. Buy yourself uh, a big fucking hat. Give me, give me a big fucking hat. You got a big brain, I got a big old fucking. You head. got a big brain in your head because you listen to our podcast. He's a smart guy. Give me that trucker cap. Give me that trucker. Get a trucker cap. Go to mammothheadwear.com Uh, promo code LSLD at checkout. Oh, I want one with the tactical. Mammoth headwear. Give me one with the tactical little patch that so I can put a little patch on my hat. Yeah. Like the Velcro patch you can change off? Yeah. Hell Jesus yeah, Christ. They, they sell those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just don't approve. Buy one now. Uh, it's only, yeah. um, we don't know what's coming do next. We, do we? Do they get a discount? Or 
to. I don't know. I mean, I can. We ask. could probably use our own promo code. Yeah. To be fair, and then if we use our own promo code, we get a, a di- uh, we get a portion of the funds. Yeah, that's yeah. what I. Call it's all free money. Getting high off your own supply. You think, Wait, I, is that unlimited money hack? Yeah, I've actually bought fifteen to twenty mammoth headwear hats, and I've I've may have spent seven thousand dollars of LSLD. But money. we got we made back. it. We made about three hundred bucks. So so nice. Free cash. Yeah. They say there's no such thing as free soup. It's like printing money. Yeah. It's essentially the same thing, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. We're laundering money through hats, which you don't usually put in the laundry. So no. it's an interesting concept. Well, you you they do should. make a little thing you can put them in the dishwasher with. My, That's my, true. My kitchen manager, he wears a hat all the time, and mm-hmm. it's really fucking dirty. We'll get him to wash that hat. Let's wash that hat. When we get to uh, If we get to $100 a month on Patreon... I'm going to blow yeah. Steven. Oh, that's funny because he's actually gonna no, blow no, you. I'm gonna blow you. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get on. They're gonna sixty nine. I'm gonna make you get on your knees, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna get on my belly, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna slither on up. over yep. like a snake, A little dick sucking snake. <laughs> All right, so and I'm as gonna waterboard you. As above, so below, Derek. Don't don't kill yourself, please. Please don't kill yourself. Don't do it. Even if uh, even if picturing Stephen on his belly sucking off a knee and like a kneeing on his Ian's like a snake. Cool. Stephen, do you want to do you want to start? A, do you want to create a sign off? Yeah. Do you, what's your sign off? Didn't get a look at. No. <laughs>